I'm going to make sure I breathe directly into the microphone every single time. I, you know, if you breathe directly into the microphone and then also could you tap on it and move it around while you're talking? So I can't, it's impossible for me to edit around it. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's not like, it's not like gurgly, like slobbery breathing. It's just like normal breathing sounds. Oh, I mean, I can change that if you need me to. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> anyway, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, welcome back. It makes slurpy sounds. Hello and welcome to It's the Greatest Show, Man, the podcast where we talk about the musicals you love and why they're great and why they suck, although that does not apply today. I'm your host, Emily Chabon, and with me as always is my co-host, Brantley Wheeler. Hello, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. Hold on, I forgot to sigh. (sighs) Hello. (laughs) I would ask how you're doing, but I think that just says it all. Well, you know, this is our latest recording session this episode, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Uh, This summer. The last several we've recorded have not been this late, so I'm just tired. Yeah. And it's our last weekend before we're back to school. Very true. I'm very much into that, but that's okay. (laughs) All right. So you tell me, what are we talking about today? Let's tell the people what we're talking about. Today we're talking about one of my all-time favorite musicals, She Loves Me. Ooh. But does she? (laughs) She does. Uh, if you think so. But we we don't find that out until the end of Act 1, so spoilers. Um, I do want to say before we get too far into the show, um, we haven't really said this with other episodes, but I really feel like this one, um, major spoilers obviously, but like if you've never seen She Loves Me, please go watch the 2016 Pro Shoot. It's on Broadway HD. And then come back and listen to us because... You're not going to know why we're gushing over the show until you've also <laughs> watched it so you can gush with us. So like like Baker Street, who cares? But this one, <laughs> dude, please watch She Loves Me if you haven't already. It is pretty great. And it's, all the performances are fantastic in that show. The top that of my notes say. That specifically. It's so good. The top of my notes say this one actually is the greatest show, man. <laughs> I would agree. It's very, very good. It is good. Let me give you some general show info. Uh, She Loves Me is a 1963 musical with music by Jerry Bach, lyrics by Sheldon Harnick, and book by Joe Masteroff. It is based on the 1937 play Parfumery by Miklos Laszlo. The original Broadway production opened April 23rd, 1963, directed by our favorite Hal Prince, they ran for 302 performances and starred Daniel Massey as George, Barbara Cook as Amalia. Uh, the next year, April 1964, transferred to the West End. That production ran for 189 performances. Um, in 1993, there was a Broadway revival. And then 1994, there was a West End revival. And then in 2016, there was a Broadway revival. And that's the one we're going to primarily focus on today because that's the one that we have recorded. It stars Zachary Levi, Laura Benanti, Jane Krakowski, Gavin Creel, and many others. 
other notable performances that people don't really talk about, but that I think are worth mentioning, um, there were concert performances in New York City in 1977 and 2011. And there's also a BBC TV musical, which is slightly abridged. And the information that I found on this differs, but it's either from 1978 or 1979. You talk about the BBC version. Yeah, there, I've seen 1978 and 1979 as dates listed, so I'm not exactly sure when it uh, was produced. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah, what I learned in my research is that Roundabout Theater loves She Loves Me, and that is the reason this show lives <laughs> on, because they were responsible for the 93 revival, the 2011 concert, and the 2016 revival. And I, I just don't think anyone else is allowed to do it at this point. It's just their show. <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously somebody out there loves She Loves Me. Everyone out there should love She Loves Me. <laughs> if you don't love it, it's just because you haven't seen it yet. Well, this was definitely a show I had heard of because I knew it was it was up against Hamilton, wasn't it? It sure was. Right. So I remember, because that was one of like, I don't always watch the Tonys, but one of the few times I watched the full Tonys was that one. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the... Uh, she loves me performance and it was it was really very good i really enjoyed it a lot Mm -hmm. and didn't that's when i found out zachary levi was in it i was like oh hey look at that (laughs) i love zachary levi so yeah chuck himself uh let me give you a summary yes let's do that again we're gonna talk through the whole show major spoilers but uh a brief summary in case you haven't joined us before we spoil every show we talk about we're going to spoil everything, so... Don't let me spoil it for yes. you. Go watch it first, and then... I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it in the summary, but we're going to spoil it. So please go watch it. Come back. We'll still be here. If you really want to hear our commentary about this show, go watch it first, then listen to the then listen to the episode yeah. if you can. For This goes for every show. I shouldn't be saying this just now. <laughs> no, but it like definitely goes for this show. I don't care if... Like, everyone knows some of the... No, this one, you have to. (laughs) Uh, So a brief summary. She Loves Me is a romantic comedic musical set in Marachek's Parfumery in 1934 Budapest, following the people who work there, particularly George Novak and Amalia Balish, rival employees who can't stand each other but are also unknowingly anonymous pen pals who have fallen in love, Alona Ritter and Stephen Kodai who have a turbulent on-again, off-again romance, and Mr. Marichek, the shop owner who suspects unsavory behavior from one of his employees. Ooh. Other notable characters include Arpad Laszlo, the delivery boy desperate for a promotion, and Ladislav Sipos, a self-proclaimed idiot just trying to keep his job, as well as a slew of customers who come in and out of the store. It's funny with that description because isn't Sipos just all of us? Sipos is just all of us all the time. No. Just an idiot trying not to lose their job. <laughs> Are you a Sipos? We're all the Sipos, is what I'm saying. No, Everyone we're not. in the world's a Sipos. <laughs> I'm not a Sipos. Am I a Sipos? No, you. No. Are you a <laughs> I think I broke her. I think I broke her. I'm reevaluating our entire friendship right now. <laughs> do, I, do I even know you? Are you a Sipos? I like how I can make a, I can make one joke and then all of a sudden your brain explodes. <laughs> I know they can't see my face, but the wheels are turning. Wow. Um, if uh, another another note, if uh, if you haven't seen She Loves Me, but you've seen the Tom Hanks Meg Ryan movie, You've Got Mail. 
Uh, they're based on the same play. So it's that story, but 1934 that, Budapest. I did not know. I've definitely heard it. Wait a second. Now, but did not know it was based on the same story. <laughs> I've, been, I've been teaching this show for two years in school and you didn't know that. I don't come and sit in your class. I just come. You, when you watched watch it the with show. us. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just come and watch it. I don't He listen to your lessons. But hey, you learn something new every day. I thought this was going to be such a joyful episode. And I'm already we're 10 minutes in and I'm like, God, <laughs> disappointed left and right. <laughs> You're allowed to be disappointed. Lower your expectations, Siobhan. Lower your expectations. I mean, when we met, you should have done that. That's just how it is. You announced immediately that you had terrible taste, and I was still like, I'm going to make this man my best friend. <laughs> and here we are, <sighs> recording another episode of a podcast. Three years later. Yep. Okay, so um, can we, I want to start by explaining why I love this show so much. Sure, go for it. So now, now that listeners, now that you've all gone and watched the show and you've also fallen in love with it, let me tell you about why I love this show. So uh, as we know... I'm kind of a hater. I'm I'm a real picky person, and uh, I don't like a lot of stuff. I don't know where they would have gotten that. I mean, I'm also delightful, but I am very, very particular. So One of those statements is true. (laughs) Why are you such a to me? I don't remember what I was saying now. (laughs) Said PBS. Okay, so fun fact. This musical, uh, the 2016 revival, was the first musical to be live streamed. Mm. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. The, what we have captured is the live stream, or is, you know, one of the live streams. Um, And so PBS Great Performances, if you're familiar with that series, they air musicals usually a couple times a year. And for a while, they were only doing it in the fall. Like, their Great Performances series would have a bunch of plays and musicals. And so, uh, fall 2017, uh, I believe October 2017, is when this first aired. And my DVR was just set to record all of Great Performances at that time, and I just delete the things I don't care about. Uh, And so this popped up, and I saw that it was a musical, and I was like, okay, I'm probably going to watch this one. But it wasn't a show I was familiar with at all. And minus that, like, I knew it had been on Broadway recently. And I remember it being a Saturday afternoon, and my husband was working, and I was just kind of hanging out home alone. And I think it was a rainy day, and I, like, got a snack and, like, snuggled it on my couch. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to hate watch the shit out of this, <laughs> and it's going to be delicious. And, like, as bitter as I am now, it was even worse in 2017, if you can believe that. <laughs> And then I watched it and I totally fell in love with it. Like it it was one of those things like I love it more because it had to win me over first. That's how mm-hmm. perfect it is. So I, I watched it a bunch of times over the next couple of weeks and like forced my husband to watch it. And, you know, he doesn't like musicals. And then I kept that right. on my DVR for literally years. And every December I bring it back out because uh, the story ends on Christmas Eve and then I fall in love with it again. And now that I'm a teacher, I show it to my students during my musical theater unit in my theater one course. So I watch it at the end of every school year too. Like 
in May this year, I probably watched it six or seven times over the course of three weeks. <laughs> and that's like, I watched act one three times in a row and then watched act two three times in a row. And then like went back and watched the parts that the kids need to watch again. Like, I don't get tired of this. I love it so much. That is the definition of your favorite musical. Yeah, it's really hard. I think we've talked about this already this week. It's really hard for me to admit that maybe this is my all-time favorite musical because there are other musicals that I've known about for longer that I have sentimental attachment. Like, there's nostalgia tied to some of those shows. Like, the first musical I ever had a lead role in or, like, Into the Woods is one of the... Like, that's the reason I have a degree in musical theater. Or, like, Next Mm -hmm. to Normal came out when I was in high school and it was so important to me. And still, like, there are times I go through, I'm like, oh, this show is so important to me. And so for it, for me to admit to myself that maybe this is my favorite musical, <laughs> it's kind of hard. <laughs> well, but hey, it's definitely my top five. There's no shame. Well, good. good. This, but I don't maybe my honestly don't know if I would it's say definitely this my is favorite my pro top shoot. five, but it is very, very good. It's a very good pro shoot for sure. No, goodbye. This isn't in your top five. No, I mean, just because my top five has already already been taken. But it is a very good show, and I do love it a lot. To quote the great Patti LuPone, who do you think you are? (laughs) I am your co-host on this podcast is who I think that I am. Well, that could be changing by the end of this episode if you keep it up. have (laughs) (laughs) Have fun recording with somebody else then. In your, this isn't in your top five. No, but I really like it. What? How is it not in your top five? Because I don't obsess over it like you do. I really what's enjoy in, it. I like a lot of the songs. It'd be a really five? fun. We've talked about this. Yeah, remind me. I don't hold details of your life in my brain. <laughs> okay, so my number one is the producers. Right, I know that. Right, the producers Tied is my favorite Joseph. musical of all time. No, it's not. (laughs) It's just more fun if my least favorite musical is your most favorite musical. (laughs) Well, in that case, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do that. My favorite musical is The Producers. That's my all-time favorite musical is The Producers. Uh, I would say number two is probably, I mean, honestly, from that point, it's kind of a wash for me. Because there's just so many that like, I mean, I really like The Wedding Singer because it was one that I was in and held sentimental value. I really like Rock of Ages, even though you think that's stupid. It's uh, trash, but we'll get there. Joseph is definitely up there. Yeah, sure. You um, like Joseph more than this? Yeah. Purely based on nostalgia, yes. Y'all, I saved this episode for last because I just thought it would be fun and <laughs> joyful. I thought it would be such a high note to end on. And I'm just digging myself into a deeper and deeper hole. I'm about to get as mad as you got during the <laughs> Joseph episode. <laughs> because it's not my absolute favorite musical. I just, you can't say that upset. it goes in your top five. It goes in my top six. <laughs> it's number six. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Anyway, let's talk about why it's amazing. Okay. Uh, we normally talk through like, songs and characters first Mm -hmm. so let's talk through songs and characters 
So uh, there is an overture, which apparently is a thing we discuss. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, something that I love about the show is that the music really captures the environment for me. And I think Bach and Harnick do a really good job of this. Um, if you're not a musical theater nerd like us, you might not know that they're uh, also the composing team for Fiddler on the Roof. That's their best known work for sure. For sure, yeah. And I think that also does a really good job of balancing the musical theater sound with the sound of this particular play. Yeah, I'd say I would agree with that. Like Fiddler has a very distinct sound, and I think this does like this feels like Budapest to me. Sure. Yeah. The orchestrations, especially for the 2016 version, they're especially good. I mean, they were Tony nominated, uh, <laughs> and they did win for uh, the Drama Desk, I think, and maybe some other awards. But um, yeah, just I love listening to it. I think it's excellent. Uh, and then we uh, open the show. The first song is called "Good Morning, Good Day." Where we get to meet some of the employees, mm-hmm. right? And we interestingly, I guess, interestingly enough to me, but I guess this is not totally uncommon, where we meet some of like the secondary characters before we meet the two main characters. Like the, I believe the first person to sing is Arpad, right? Yes. Right. So, like, I mean, obviously, there's like the the main characters, then there's the secondary characters, and then there's like the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Right, and so we meet literally everyone else who works in the shop except for Marachek in that opening number, right? And Amalia. And Amalia, right, because she comes in a little bit later. Yeah, I would say this show does a really good job of balancing like the principal cast in an ensemble-type way. The principal cast is all equally important to the story, even though George and Amalia are clearly the A-plot, and... Alona and Kodai right, are clearly sure. the B plot. Mm-hmm. And then like Marachek and everything that's going on there is the C plot. Right. And then C post is there and Arpad's also there. <laughs> right. And they're they're equally contributing to all the things going on. Oh, they are for sure. Um Though those each each of those characters also gets their own solo. Yeah, so. every every character in the show has at least one solo song. Every principal character. That's true, yeah. I was about to say, well, Mirachek does it, but no, no, he does. Mm-hmm. It's like second or third in the show? Yeah, it depends on how you count it. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think I mentioned this already. So I, I do teach this musical to my students in Theater One. Mm-hmm. And uh, something that I teach them is that, you know, the opening number of a musical really sets up the whole story for you. You basically know everything you need to know about this play going into it just based on that opening number. It should set the tone and kind of set up the characters and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. the kids always go, this isn't a good opening number because we don't meet Amalia and they don't understand. Like, there's no plot set up, really. It's just exposition. Uh, I highly disagree with that statement. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to know what the plot is right away. Not no, that, you I mean, don't. It's, it's just setting I mean, tone and environment. Yeah, and I think it does a a perfect job of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to know. Like, I mean, I was trying to think of like, literally the musical that came out the same year, Hamilton. Like that opening number sets up like, it tells you like this is what's gonna happen. Here's the main characters. 
but it doesn't introduce you to every single character. Um, mm-hmm. This this song does do that, ex- with the exception of Marichek and Amalia. But yeah, that's not its purpose. The purpose of the song is to set up the environment, like well, how how things are gonna work. Mm-hmm. And I will admit that listening to the soundtrack, I forgot this song was in the show because <laughs> <laughs> I started listening to it. And I hadn't, I did not rewatch the pro shoot before we started talking about it because I've seen it a bunch of times now. Uh, yeah. So we get through that opening number, and then in the pro shoot, that's where that beautiful scene change happens. Mm-hmm. Now we have already yeah. talked about this. Uh, As she a... loves me in 20, 2016 was up against that. That Tony season was. I mean, this cast is stacked. The Tony season was stacked. Uh, original musicals mm-hmm. that were nominated for best musical that year hamilton waitress bright star school of rock shuffle along and then the revivals that year were the color purple fiddler on the roof and spring awakening okay the reason you didn't know about this show before <laughs> this is because there were like 10 other amazing because shows on that. broadway right right so but the, the, it, it was just an amazing year of musical theater which is great but that means like it, competition stiff. So the one Tony Award that this production did win was for set design, and mm-hmm. oh, it's beautiful. As a technical person, that set is incredible. It's way more impressive than any set we're gonna do in the high school level. I <laughs> know. I love you. the show so we much. We can really push ourselves, but like that's, it's just it's very very impressive. And I would love to be able to do something like that and include that type of detail. But like if we had, you know, three months to work on a show, then like maybe (laughs) we could get maybe get there. But I also wonder how many long nights would I be pulling to pull this off? And this is a show. I mean, I've watched that pro shoot dozens of times by now. And I've watched it like on a big screen TV at my house. And I've watched it like at school on the big projection screen. And as I was Mm -hmm. prepping for this episode, I was watching it again just on my laptop. And I think just having the screen a little bit closer to my face, I noticed so many more details this time that I'd never seen before. And just like the attention to detail and the color palette, it's just absolutely stunning. And that's one of my favorite moments, you know, when we're watching it in class is that some of the kids are already like, ew, a musical, I don't care. But then it's like, okay, hold on, hold on, like wait for this scene change. And then that that building opens up and reveals the inside of the shop. And even the kids are like, musicals are dumb. We're like, whoa, that's pretty cool. It's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. And then we get to what I think is probably the first big flex of how smart She Loves Me is, mm-hmm. which is sounds while selling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not only is this song like it's lyrically complex and very clever and very funny. Mm. It's like the trifecta of of an inc- amazing musical theater song. Yes. Yeah, so this is the song where the, the customers come in and Sipos, Kodai and uh, George Novak are each helping a customer and each person contributes like a couple of words or co- mm-hmm. or you know one lyric at a time and so you're hearing three different conversations flow together as one conversation which makes it really funny because mm-hmm. there's lyrics like one person will say you may want to clip your and then the next person says earlobes 
And then the next line is, you may want to dye your, <laughs> and the next line is hangnails. And it's like, oh, you can hear where right. the pieces kind of fit together. Mm-hmm. Or like, I would like an eyebrow. And then the next lady says, under my, and the third lady says, chin. And it's like, that's, that's just silly, but it's so smart. <laughs> Yeah, and it's very, very funny. And like, I, I do just like the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do love that the, the thought put into that, um, you know, just this whole thing. It's like, oh, you know what? And just even thinking about it, like Harnick and Bach are probably like, you know, I've been to retail stores. What are they talking? Like, what kind of things do you overhear, especially in a perfumery? And so they're talking about all this, these beauty care regimen stuff. And it's just, it's so good. It's a very, very fun song. I think if you could do this just like as an ensemble showcase, it'd be really, really fun. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. Baritones, where are you at? (laughs) Not at our school. I've got got two two solid ones. And a couple of... Maybe we can find some more. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And then in this um, musical number list, which I've pulled from, uh, what do you usually call it? Wikipedia.org? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I stole that from another <laughs> podcast. But yes. Yeah, I know. I, I listen to that podcast too now. <gasps> uh, you listen to that podcast too now? I do. Have we not talked oh, about this? Oh, I'm, I'm actually surprised. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> I, I need background noise. Um, but then I also like it a lot. So anyway, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's talk about it later. Uh, so, uh, so the next song on the list is the the thank you, madam, which comes up a bunch of times. And basically, anytime someone buys something mm-hmm. and they leave, all the clerks sing the song, and it's just a, like cute little three line lick that pops up over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fun to have that motif appear multiple times in the show. Mm-hmm. I will say, like in the world of this show. I feel like maybe it's set up to where like not every perfumery in the town does something like that, but they do. And that's what sets them apart. And that could mm. be my head cannon, but I feel like that is something that for me, it was like, this is special to this place that they do this when people mm. are leaving. Do you think that that's diegetic or non-diegetic? I don't know what you mean. I've never had this thought before. Do the clerks actually sing the song or is the song only existing for the audience? Like diegetic means it, it's happening in the story. So like Do Re Mi from The Sound of Music mm-hmm. is diegetic because she's teaching the kids to sing. I think it is diegetic. I do think it is like... That's their they, thing. Like, like they, they sing. That's what they sing. Yeah, as they walk out. That's cute. I never thought about it before. I guess you could argue for it either way. Sure. But like it makes it... I think it's more fun in the world of this show if... It's actually like this is something that they actually do when to custom for when customers leave the leave the store. Like they all like rush together and they go, they sing, Thank you, madam, please come again, do call again. Or it's just fun. Yeah. Well and they set that up at the end of Sounds While Selling, so that later on when we meet Amalia, the thank you, madam can interrupt her conversation with George, which I think is really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great, too. Uh, okay, so then after that, we meet Mr. Marichek. Uh I mean, he's yeah, in the yeah. first scene, that like prelude prologue scene. But then mm-hmm. uh, he comes in and we get to know him a little bit better. And he sings a song called Days Gone By about how he mm-hmm. used to go out dancing. And he was a, a bachelor who would 
go to cabarets and nightclubs and dance with the ladies and then he, he met was, his wife he slept and around now he loves her and he i don't think he didn't sleep around. <laughs> i don't he think danced that, around no he, he, he seems around. like a very upstanding <laughs> fine gentleman but then he has the line he's like and then i met mrs marachek and ever since i've only danced with her yeah so is dancing a metaphor or not it's not the horizontal tango, Brandon. <laughs> it's a waltz. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. Oh, stop That's ruining my favorite I... thing. Stop ruining my favorite thing. <laughs> stop. <laughs> you ruin my favorite thing. I get to ruin all your favorite things. We've not talked about the producer. So is Joseph your favorite thing or not? <laughs> One of my favorite things. I would argue... That I think you can argue that Marichek has the I want song in this show. I suppose. I don't I don't think I read it that way, but otherwise I don't think there really is an I want song. Well, what's your pitch for this being the I want song? So I think I think I don't have notes on this, so let me gather gather my thoughts. Okay, so my argument for why Days Gone By is the I want song is that everyone in this show is looking for love and this song is discussing the ideal of what like living a young romance is like. So Marichek is the one singing it, but I don't think like it does serve the purpose of establishing his character and his love for his wife, which is important later on. Mm -hmm. Right. But it also is reflective of how uh, the three other or three of the other employees are currently feeling George, who is not currently with anyone, uh, and then Alona and Kodai, who we've already established by this point that they have uh, some kind of on again, off again affair, romance, whatever mm-hmm. we want to call it. Right. So maybe it's the I Want song. Maybe there is no I Want song in the show, but. I mean, I think you make a pretty good argument. I don't. Well, it's in the correct placement of the show instead of, you know, something like Part of Your World, which is so much later. But. <laughs> Well, and I think at that point you can argue Tonight at 8 slash I Don't Know His Name are the I Want songs, mm-hmm. but I they're a little bit late in the show, in my opinion, to be I Want songs. Yeah. I b- we do have a lot of... Expo- I don't, I'm not mad at them. I wouldn't move them. Here's the thing. like I, I do think this yeah. is a perfect musical, but it, it bends mm-hmm. a lot of the rules that we think of for that classic Golden Age musical theater. Yeah. I mean... I just think that's one of those things too, like a good musical can, or musical writers can understand the format, but be willing to play with that in order to fit the story that they're trying to tell. Mm. And maybe that's what's going on here. It is an I Want song, but it's not a traditional I Want song. Maybe it's more of a, if this song, uh, Days Gone By, if this is the I Want song, then it's a kind of a twist on it. It's not necessarily like what we would traditionally think as being an I Want song, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you're right. If I Don't Know His Name and Tonight at Eight are more like the I Want songs and they're like significantly later in the show, so that's kind of strange. But not the worst thing in the world, you know? Yeah. Well, and we've already, at this point, like we've already established the B plot pretty well. I mean, they establish it with like two lines in the opening number Mm -hmm. that Alona and Kodai are uh, having an... I don't think he's married. I don't think it establishes that he's married. So I feel like having an affair 
in 2023 language has a different connotation, but I think I would describe what right. they are having as an affair because it doesn't seem to be like a serious relationship. Right. Yeah. Like they're, they're obviously enjoying the physical aspects of their relationship and it doesn't seem like it goes much beyond that. Right. Do you remember what the line exactly is? It's, I know like Sipos makes a comment about, oh, He's, she's coming uh, from his place or something like that. Yeah. They're like, here comes Miss Ritter. Uh, and I think Arpad's the one who says she spent the night with Mr. Kodai. They always kiss at the newsstand and then she walks around the block to pretend she's been home. Oh, right. Yeah. And I think Ritter, uh, Alona comes on first and then Kodai comes on next Mm -hmm. because he says, good morning, Alona. What a lovely dress you have this morning. And then Arpad's like, it's the same one she had on yesterday. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. So it establishes that pretty, pretty immediately. So after days gone by and we establish how lovey-dovey Marichek is for his wife and how much he wants that Fort George as well. Mm-hmm. Like he obviously cares about George and wants George to uh, have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we meet our leading lady, Amalia Balish, uh, originated by the late great Barbara Cook and in 2016 played by Laura Benanti, both of whom are amazing and I love. Mm-hmm. And we find out that Amalia is looking for a job because Marichek's competitor, Hammerschmidt, has closed his doors I guess we're led to believe that it's just because the Great Depression is going on. Because this is set in 1934. Well, is that, was that, did that affect other parts of the world too, or is it just America? I think it affected everywhere. Okay. I just wasn't sure. I think so. I'm sure my wife can answer this question. She's a huge history buff. I'm sure she could tell me, but I don't remember. No, (laughs) I'm not going to go get her. (laughs) I'll ask her tomorrow. Uh, according to Google, no part of Europe was left untouched by the Great Depression, but the worst affected countries were Poland, Germany, and Austria. One in five of the population was unemployed. So, yeah, that's, that's my understanding is that they, while they do, they're catering mostly to the wealthy, uh, but they're also working Mm -hmm. because they got to eat. And that's why... Alona right. and Amalia are working is because they don't have a husband to support them. Mm-hmm. I miss the good old days. No, I'm kidding. When you could have a <laughs> husband to support you? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so we meet Amalia and she comes in and she's looking for a job and George is basically like, there's no jobs available. And uh, George says something about, it just can't be done. And Marichek says, nothing can't be, like, there's nothing that can't be done at Marichek's. Mm-hmm. And th- then Amalia's like, but I'm here for a job. And Marichek's like, nope, can't do that. <laughs> and then she decides to prove right. herself by trying to sell a musical cigarette box. Right. That Mar- that Marichek himself tries to sell and can't. Yes. Marichek and George have a bet. Marichek thinks they're going to fly off the shelves and George thinks they're stupid. And so they have a bet that they'll sell the first one within the hour and Marichek can't sell one. So Amalia uh, sings the song No More Candy to uh, a customer and convinces her that the box, it's a musical box. And she improvises that it's it's made for candy. And when you open the lid, it plays the tune to remind you not to eat any more candy so you don't get fat. <laughs> And uh, the lady buys it, and uh, Marichek's like, you've got a job. (laughs) 
which I have to I have to say a comment on on Amalia's quick thinking here that I mean as far as improvisations go that's a very very good one. <laughs> She's and this is where we see like how smart and um, driven and witty she is and uh, mm-hmm. I've got so many notes about this but something I think is really great about the book of this musical is the humor that's infused in it and in 2016 they did a great job of keeping it fresh and kind mm-hmm. of reading new inflections into it because you can go back and listen to the 1963 uh, OBC and Barbara Cook reminds me so much of her performance as Marion in the Music Man. Oh really? It's that same archetype where it's like that like smart independent woman who's like kind of guarded and maybe standoffish and like spinstery. Mm-hmm. And I think that also reads as funny. But Laura Benanti kind of infuses a little bit more humor into it. And it's just a little bit more like down to earth and goofy in places. And it's just, I think, mm-hmm. at least to a contemporary audience, it's more relatable, which makes it more fun. Right. I, I feel like with music, like classic, classic musicals like this, that they also have this thing where a character comes in, either you have to love them immediately or hate them immediately to establish like, who they, who the part that they play in this story, right? Because there's definitely things like, like I, I think about. I mean, this probably seems out of left field, but just like how like old westerns used to have. There's the man in the white hat, and there's the man in the black hat, and you know who's the good guy, and you know who's the bad guy because of how they look, right? And I feel like on on some older classical musicals, like this, like how this one was like '64, right? '63. But even before then, in like the golden age. Oh sure, okay, uh, but like even before then, like the in like the golden age, where like characters would come on, and judging by how they looked and how they acted, that you would know whether or not oh I immediately immediately like this person or I immediately don't like this person, mm-hmm. and this does a pretty good job of that. Um, I feel like oh I kind of like I think we'll talk more about George a little bit later, but like how. Uh, how okay. nuanced it, this part, that part can be, right? Yes. Um, but like with with Kodai, he first comes in and you know he talks to Il- Ilona, and I mean you don't immediately pick up on like oh this guy is sleazy, but I mean they kind of establish it through dialogue. But you know later as that show progresses, he becomes more and more despicable. Yeah, spoilers. Kodai's the villain. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Plot twist. Uh. But yeah, we so we immediately set up the rivalry between Amalia and George because he said no, she couldn't, and then she proves that she can. And so now we know that they're going to be rivals. Uh, and immediately yeah. after this scene, we go into three letters mm-hmm. where we find out that the two of them have been corresponding with each other. Uh, they're part of a Lonely Hearts Club, and they've fallen in love with each other through anonymous letters, but they don't know who the other person is or that they hate each other in real life. Nope. And this is one of my favorite songs to listen to because some of it, like I think it's, it's a great reveal that he sings the first two verses and then she joins him and takes over the third verse. But also this mm-hmm. is the music nerd in me, the orchestrations like that intro where the cellos do that. Like do, 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 do. I could listen to that all day. Just that part. <laughs> I don't know. It does something for me. It's so good. I mean, hey, whatever gets you going, I guess. A good cello line. Throwing a bassoon. <laughs> mm. 
You looked like you were going to say something about this song. Well, I do like the anonymity of it, right? And just like, I mean, I know it's part of the plot. It's like the whole point. But like how they, they don't know each other's names or what they look like because they specifically don't send pictures. They don't talk to each other about how what they look like, you know, because then they, cause they fall in love with one another just through talking to each other about the things that they like. Right, mm, and yeah. they refer to each other as dear friend, dear and friend. I like. I just think that's very cool. Or right. it's very, it's very sweet, and like you know, really gets to how 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 can I put this? It's like appearances shouldn't matter, right? When it comes to these types of relationships, and I think that's you know something that you know, there's something that they see that these characters just did, but I don't know. It makes me it makes me feel good that like oh this is not purely based on appearances, which completely contrasts the relationship between Kodai and Ilona. Is Kodai and Ilona's relationship only based on appearances, or I mean it's definitely a physical relationship versus like a mental right. emotional relationship? Well, I do think it's purely based on appearances, just because. Uh, well. It, it seems to me that they don't have a ton in common other than this fact that they are sleeping together on a regular basis. Yeah. So my my inference from that is that they're just... Just you know, physical. You don't think it does? Uh, well, I think, I think like appearances would fall under the umbrella of physicality. I just mm-hmm. don't know. Is there any... I don't think there's any textual evidence that either of them like only likes the way the other one looks. But that's being really picky. Sorry, I suppose not. But that's probably just my in, my own inference on that that relationship. Yeah. Well, I I don't. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think they are a nice foil. The two relationships I don't think are I'm a nice wrong foil either. for each other. In that, <laughs> the two relationships are a nice foil for each other. In that, George and Amalia's relationship is based on like mental and emotional state, where. Alona and Kodai is very uh, physical. Right. But I think I think this just like the show harkens back to a time of like romanticism and uh mm-hmm. it remind part of the reason like I I'm not really a lovey-dovey person. Part of the reason I love this show so much is the same reason that I love Irving Berlin where it's just like it's like sweet and innocent and romantic and it's like mm-hmm. Like, I love this person because I love their soul and not just that they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, I think somewhere somewhere deep down, every every person has a little soft spot for that. Hopefully. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that's a... Yes, hopefully. But I, I think that that's <laughs> a good way to look at it and think about it. It's a very sweet love story. So then we've already established they don't like each other. This is one of my favorite reveals when we watch it in class is that she starts singing that third verse with him and all the kids go, <gasps> It was her! <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they turn and look at me and it's like yes this this is a hate to love friends like it's very cute mm-hmm. um then we get one of the best songs in the show which is tonight at eight so uh three letters takes us all the way from june to december um i oh, we probably should have talked about the cute little gag of the seasons changing in between the verses oh yeah <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, it's such it's a fun great. little joke in that 2016 pro shoot and it is in the script where our pet's like look autumn and then a bunch of leaves flutter down <laughs> and then the next person goes look winter and in the pro shoot you catch uh one of the orchestra members throw a 
cup of fake snow onto the stage. <laughs> it's such a silly little gag, but yeah. it's really beautiful. It's very So, fun. yes, we've made it to December. Uh, we're at another day in the shop, and George reveals to Sipos that he is meeting dear friend tonight at eight. Mm-hmm. What a patter song. Uh, is that, and it's just like the, it's so frenetic in the way that it's presented, mm. you know, it's so good. It's so, it's, it's a lot of words and like mm-hmm. I've performed songs with a lot of words. Uh, so I know how hard it is to do those things. I'm sure you have too. I have, yeah. But it's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I always admire people like performers that can, can do that and get all these words out and get the right words. Cause like, I mean, to kind of compare it to roles I've played, right. Um, in the wedding singer, I played Glenn Gulia, who's his, his only song in the show is all about the green and it's got a ton of words. The only chorus is you sing. It's all about the green, like twice, but all the verses are different. There's no, hardly any repeats at all. That song's pretty difficult. And that was probably one of the hardest songs I ever had to learn. And then in something rotten, I played Nick bottom and God, I hate Shakespeare has a lot of words <laughs> and the way that it flows and all that stuff. It's just like, I feel like that one was a little bit easier, but it's just like a whole chunk of like, just like, it's this big chunk of just like words and like trying to like talk to do all this and like run out of breath and all that kind of thing. But like the song just has so many words and I do like, but the, the, the pattern the vocal pattern is very fun with that. And I do like the gag too, where he talks about not being able to, he's how I'm, I'm breathing less and less. And he got like, kind of like mm. runs out of it. And I like heard a couple, like, cause you know, I listened to the, uh, an audio version of the roundabout read through with Josh Radnor and listening to his version and, and Zachary Levi's version from the pro shoot. It's like how they approached that was different. And I thought it was just like, I thought both of them were, pretty good i like i enjoyed both versions of it but like how uh josh radnor when he was doing it he just kind of kept going until he just kind of ran out of breath at the end where zachary levi like stops in the middle and takes like a very like shallow breath and then finishes the line i thought both were great interpretations of of that specific verse but it's like this the whole song is great and it's mm-hmm. again it's not an easy song <laughs> no well and i think i uh, I guess we can come to this conclusion now, but in my opinion, the 2016 pro shoot is the definitive. She loves me. I don't, I don't see a world in which another production of she loves me at this point in time isn't influenced by that one. You know, I think I would agree with that. It It is very, very good. It well, And it just, it Zachary Levi's performance brings so much vulnerability to that role and I think I think both for George mm-hmm. and Amalia, when the show was written, to have that archetype of like a confident, maybe teetering on arrogant, like strong-willed person who has an antagonist on stage, like that's, but also they're in love with each other, but we don't see the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I think that's also funny. And I mean, we like to compare Barbara Cook roles. We do see that in The Music Man with Marion where like she's like kind of like hard and mean on the outside. But then like later on, we find out she's soft on the inside. And like, oh, isn't that sweet and funny that like Mm -hmm. she used to be so rough and now she's soft. 
and the same thing for Harold Hill. Like, you know, he's a, he's a player and he's right. a, a con artist and he's scamming everybody, but he's, he's fallen in love and it's changed him. And it's like, Oh, yeah. romance. Yeah. He's always That's looking funny for that sadder, but wiser girl. <laughs> that was funny at the time. And I think it's still kind of funny now, but that type of humor I think feels dated. And so it was so smart. I don't know if it's direction or if it came more from the actors or what, but to bring that vulnerability into the role right away. And personally, that makes me like the characters more. Mm-hmm. And that makes yeah. me root for them more instead of being like, oh, well, you were kind of an arrogant jerk earlier. And like, oh, mm-hmm. now you love her instead of being like, oh, he's he's like been soft and lovey all along. He's just putting up a front. Right. I just think that's so much more complex and so much more interesting to watch. And the humor yeah. is better. Everything and about it is better. Right. And I just want to say, too, that the Zachary Levi and Laura Benanti are just they feel so genuine in this role in these mm. respective roles as well. It's like you believe them and you like you are really rooting for them, even though they don't know they're they're communicating right right you're like really rooting for this to kind of work out but you know something that i i was thinking about and kind of wanted to bring up is like is george just jealous of amalia because she one-upped him like what why is there why is, is their relationship so antagonistic i don't know i think yeah i think they just got off on the wrong foot and then they become rivals mm-hmm. like it, it does i think that's so that's so easy for that to happen I mean, have you I don't know how competitive you really are. Like when I think about myself as like in like an academic or like performance based environment, I'm like, I'm super competitive actually. So I, I really like Amalia and George butting heads right from the beginning. Like, yep. Been there (laughs) definitely (laughs) many times (laughs) often with people that I actually deep down had a crush on. So anyway, there you go. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't know if I, I'm competitive, but like, I don't know how, where I fall in like the spectrum of competitiveness, like where I necessarily fall. I mean, I could definitely get pretty heated, (laughs) but like, as far as like, I don't know, I'm, I'm very introverted. So I don't know, despite the fact that I'm a Gemini, I'm very introverted. So (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Well, and I'm pretty introverted too, but I can pretend to be an extrovert if I need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine you like having a rival like that. Uh, I definitely had a somewhat of a of a like a more romantic type rival in high school. Um, I won't name any names, but it's just like it was one of those things where it was like he and I weren't necessarily like competing with each other for like the attention or affection of specific girls. But like every time I dated someone and if we broke up, he would go after them and try to date them after (laughs) me. And that was really weird. And he also was just a jerk and I didn't get along with him. So (laughs) I know I'm, I'm thinking very specifically, there was a kid I uh, had a couple of classes with and uh, for whatever reason, like anytime in class we would play like a review game or we had a project or something, I I desperately wanted to be on his team because I was like, I know we could crush everyone. But it never happened that way. I think (laughs) teachers would like purposely split us up to try to even off the teams. Uh, Or like we were both involved in music stuff and sometimes like we were both in choir. Sometimes we would stand near each other in choir and it would be like, yeah, we're both really good at this. 
but also like it it like <laughs> sort of became a rivalry it's like how come you're getting attention and i'm not and it's because i was a soprano and he was a you know boy who could sing low notes which i could not right. at the time so you know and you know boys in performing arts are few and far between anyway but also i was madly in love with him <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah this rivalry makes sense to me <laughs> okay sure but also, yeah, but to also, like, at this point, as the audience, we know that they're in love with each other, but they don't know that. And so to see right. Tonight at 8 and then I don't know his name right after that, be like, oh, they both genuinely really care about this other person. Mm-hmm. And isn't it hilarious that they don't like each other? <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh and then it, I don't know his name. I also really enjoy this as a duet. This is one of those female female duets that I always forget about. And it's like, oh, this is actually mm-hmm. like a good duet if you're looking for a musical theater duet. That's not like oh for sure. What is this feeling from Wicked? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But you know, like I was saying again, this song contrasts the relationship that Amalia has with dear friend. That mm-hmm. Al- Alona doesn't have with right. Kodai. Yes, and sh- this is where we kind of establish more that Alona's really not happy. She realizes how good Amalia's relationship is with this mystery man who she's never. I mean, the lyric is, "I don't know his name or what he looks like." Doesn't and, know, and uh, all she knows is like she knows his heart is kind of if yeah. Kind of she's what, like, what I know get. like the books that he likes to read and like the art and the music that he likes. Mm-hmm. and alone is like hmm, maybe <laughs> she has a line near the end of the song it's like maybe i'd do much better myself with a library card which sets up mm-hmm. the rest of her story right yeah and like the con that's the last song the last lyric in that song too when they both sing what's in a name and the contrasting meaning of that lyric mm-hmm. as well yeah. because of where they're each coming from it's like it's a very like I mean I definitely understand why this is like your favorite musical because that song is really good. It's there's not a there was not a bad song on the show for sure. No. And a lot of the songs are like this where they're very like clever in like setting up and explaining these relationships without being like so blatant about it. Yes, it's that it's that thing we've talked about before where you get really specific about an emotion by putting it in a specific circumstance and then by honing in on Mm -hmm. that circumstance without explicitly saying what the emotion is you then suddenly make this feeling universal like many of us have not been part of a lonely hearts club but we know exactly how amalia is feeling about this person because we've all like had a crush or been in love before Mm mm-hmm for sure. And then like the reverse. I mean, we're both married, just not to each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I've like, again, like I've had like these romantic longing feelings for other people like before I met my husband. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just, you know, like every, everyone's experienced that at some point. And then I think probably most people have also experienced what Alona is experiencing where it's like, oh, I see this person who healthy relationship feels like a buzzword 
I don't think Amalia's really in a healthy relationship. Like she's just writing letters to this guy, but right, like like longing for this thing that someone else has, this like ideal of romance. Mm-hmm. But they're like they're both talking about the same thing, and they're saying a lot of the same lyrics, but they're contrasting each other. It's like say, you know saying the thing without saying the thing. Right. Yeah. Mm. Thanks, Sheldon Harnick. Make my heart happy. <laughs> um, then we get into uh, the next scene. So Perspective is the next song that pops up. And mm-hmm. uh, the reason this song pops up is because Marichek has suddenly been very grumpy. And he seems to be blaming everything on George and we don't know why. And Seapost's mm-hmm. advice to George is to basically just like shut up and do your job. Are these minor little arguments mm-hmm. important? Like, put it in perspective. <laughs> don't be, a, don't be an idiot without a job. Right. Be an idiot with a job. <laughs> right, right. And that's the the thing that is just funny for me about this particular song, is that well, it it was stuck in my head yesterday, before we were before we decided to talk about this, and like, the part that sticks with me the most is the "do not lose your job." <laughs> five words or whatever he says like <laughs> that's the part that always sticks with me and i'm like well yes <laughs> um this might actually know. be my least favorite song in the show it's one that took a while to grow on me yeah uh but i did realize i'm like why does this song get stuck in my head and like why has it grown on me and i think it's because it factors so prominently into the overture maybe <laughs> maybe but just like I, I mean the whole thing about this song yeah him being like you know shut up and do your job and don't complain you know put everything in perspective like that whole thing too but just the the whole thing with sepals being like hey and that's he's not and he's not saying like he won't stand up if he if he has to but he's like it's not worth it just (laughs) you know right yeah he like sets up that he's like one person uh who works in this place with lots of other people and we all work in this place, but there are lots of these places in our city and there are lots of cities in our country and there's lots of countries on the continent and several continents on the planet and several planets in the universe. And so like, if I'm just a little speck and this other little speck yells at me, like, what does it matter? Right. Yeah. Which sets up his character so beautifully. It does, yeah. But it, for me, too, it's also like, I mean, he's not, he's kind of not wrong either. <laughs> yeah. In the grand, in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So. That's, Seapost is only real song. Like his big solo yeah, song, but, at least in I the mean, show. And like, if for a while, I thought, is this song does this song really serve a purpose in the show? Like, could we cut this song and not really lose anything? And I think if you really needed to do an abridged version of the show for some reason, maybe you could cut part of this song, but I do think establishing Sipos's character in this way is very important to setting up act two mm-hmm. and, and his role for in sure. act two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, ideally, you don't cut anything out of this show because it's no, good. The whole no, no. show is great. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that TV movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, the other thing, I I just need to make this comment because I don't know that I've heard anyone else ever talk about this pro shoot, 
And I don't know why. It's so good. Uh, the gag of him stacking the presents in the box and then they come out mm-hmm. upside down. That's, there's so many like little fun magic tricks in this show or like the the tube of face cream shooting out on his suit jacket. Like there's mm-hmm. those are such basic little theater magic tricks, but they make my heart so happy. Like it kind of harkens back to the <laughs> fact that this is an old school musical. It's like that mm-hmm. that upside down box trick. That's so easy to do, but it's so fun to look at. You're like, ooh, magic. <laughs> right. And I love this, like in the and the directorial decision in the pro shoot where he's like, I am but a speck in all or whatever, and he's holding up the little present and puts it in the box, and then has like talks about yeah. I'm this person, I'm at the little shop, which is one of the, and he's as he's talking about all that and picking up the different size boxes and puts it all together. It's it it is yeah. it's fantastic. It's, it's so good. Mm, love it. Uh, so then, the next scene, Marichek comes out and asks, "How come?" Actually, I might be getting this slightly out of order, but uh, Marichek wants the Christmas decorations to go up in the shop, and he wants everyone mm-hmm. to stay late because he's mad at George. He wants everyone to stay late and put up the Christmas decorations tonight. And of course, George can't go because he has uh, quote a previous engagement. And Amalia can't go because she also has a previous engagement and they don't know that it's to meet each other, but they both are going on the date with mm-hmm. their friend. But everyone else is going to stay. And uh, Marichek and George get into an argument and George decides to resign. And so then we have uh, Goodbye George, which is a play on the motif from Sounds While Selling and Thank You, Madam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and George leaves. And then Amalia also gets ready to leave and she sings will he like me which is a great soprano number amalia we haven't mentioned this yet amalia is a great soprano role and as a soprano makes my heart happy (laughs) if if talking about barbara cook didn't give it away but uh this is the equivalent to i would argue it's the equivalent to my white knight in uh the music man to compare those Barbara Cook, I would roles, agree with that. It's a it's a beautiful mm-hmm. dramatic soprano solo, or a dramatic solo written for a soprano, not necessarily a dramatic soprano. Because yeah, a lot of uh, soprano solos are gimmicky. At this point, like, I mean, Vanilla Ice Cream is the one everyone knows, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's yeah, lots of like fun, silly like, ooh, look how high I can sing in this one. Again, like leans into that vulnerability of Amalia, mm-hmm. and it's really pretty. I like it. Yeah, for sure it is. You know, I th- I think that this might be my favorite song of hers in the show. I like all of her songs, so I don't know if I can well, yeah. choose one. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously, Vanilla Ice, like you said, Vanilla Ice Cream is the one that people will probably know if if you've heard a song from this show. It's probably either gonna be Vanilla Ice Cream or Tonight at Eight. Yeah. And I don't know. I just like this song more. <laughs> I just do. It's nice. It really is not. I, it's a good character piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really all I have to say about it. It's it's pretty. Go listen to it. Um, then we get to the song that the kids always ask to replay. And that's Ilona. <laughs> Come with me. What a fun song. On a rocket ride. <laughs> I 
something we didn't talk about yet is that uh, <laughs> Gavin Creel and Jan Krakowski played their respective roles in the 2011 production and the 2016 production. So they did something right. And roundabout was like, you're coming back and you're doing this again. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't imagine anyone else playing Kodai as beautifully as, and perfectly as Gavin Creel does. Um, I've listened to everyone sing this and nobody gets exactly like the amount of charm I think that works I don't know and I'm gonna, I'm gonna save that thought for later uh but yeah it's really fun okay. if you for some reason didn't listen to us and didn't watch this and you're just listening to us talk about a show that you don't know uh stop right now there's a clip of Alona on YouTube just go watch it and come back because that song it will be stuck in your head for days it's really fun yeah you know just having this thought, we've talked a little bit about kind of characterizations of, of these characters, but I feel like Kodai is a character that's similar enough to George to where it's very easy, I think, to play Kodai as like slimy. But in this song, you don't want that because like if he's too kind of, I think if he's too kind of like, grimy and kind of gross then you don't there's no charm there right yeah he needs to have an air of charm to him in order for you to like like this character at least for the time being yeah i think um there's a line i can't remember i think it's sepos's line is like the fox and the chicken are a team again yeah, and I think fox Gavin Creel does yeah. the right balance of like playing a fox and not playing like a wolf. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the previous Kodai's and the other Kodai's that I've watched and heard play it more like I and I I mean it like metaphorically like play it like the wolf, where it's just like a little too mm-hmm. aggressive. And a little too bold and a, like a, just a, like a little bit too slimy. I mean, at this point in the show, we already know that Kodai is not good for Alona. And that she's looking for a way out of it. Mm-hmm. But he has to be charming enough that we understand why she falls for him again. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm trying and to say. And we have to be rooting for it a little bit before by the end of the song so that we can flip again. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And that's what I meant. Like, it's very easy to play that part. In in the way that you're like, oh, I don't like this guy at all. Why does she even like this guy? Mm. And it's like in the same way where like we've, we have talked, you know, off pod before about this show and talked about how like it's really easy to play George as an arrogant jerk and you not really like him at all and you don't root for this relationship. But, you know, like you said, Zachary Levi brings this kind of vulnerability and I would I don't necessarily want to say innocence, but maybe naivete to this to the part of George to where you do like him and you are rooting for him despite the fact that you know he's kind of a jerk to Amalia sometimes (laughs) yeah there are so yeah there's so many great (laughs) I love the whole setup we didn't even talk about the whole setup before Alona where Alona and Kodai are not speaking to each other they're only speaking through Sipos Right, yeah, that's great, too. She's like, have you seen any icicles? Can you ask Mr. Kodai if he's seen any icicles? Like, tell Miss Ritter. That's all she's been throwing at me all day. 
<laughs> and then and then Sipos turns around and said, he says, she's like, I heard. Why else would I be laughing so uncontrollably? <laughs> it's so funny. Just, yeah, the little it is, yeah. give and take of the book. Um, so, yeah, so by the end of the song Alona, uh, Kodai and Alona have decided to get back together, and he's going to take her out to dinner somewhere. And then I Marichek... Like, I, I have... I I was I looked up the song because I needed to like make this comment, and like the part that always like, I mean the song is isn't like you know it's not an overtly like sexual song, but the way <laughs> that it's played it's it's kind of very like, I mean it's f- very heavy flirting for sure. Oh, and it's, the lyric it's definitely that, a sexy song. It, yeah, one well, in the in the lyrics uh, that. Uh, Gavin Creel Kodai sings in the pro shoot is like uh, like some divining rod it points straight to you and he holds oh, a mistletoe, mistletoe over his crotch it's so funny but like it's like uh but like it's like it's weird it's one of those things it's like it's icky but in a charming way <laughs> you're like I don't like this but I'm not mad about it <laughs> yeah this is one of those things I think we get away with a little bit in theater and mm-hmm. this is the reason I have to send a parent email every time I show this to be like, hey, there's two moments in the show that you that I think you might be concerned about because we don't have the motion picture uh, motion picture association of America to rate this film. So like there are two moments and one of them is uh, right before a romantic atmosphere, which we'll get to. And then the other one is Alona. And it's mm-hmm. like this is it is. It's definitely a sexy, like there's no sex on stage, but the choreography is very sexy and we get away Mm -hmm. with sexy jokes and stuff in the theater just because people aren't. I mean, we did do Mamma Mia in the high school level. (laughs) We, well, you can, you could lean out of those jokes if you wanted to. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's clearly there. It's in the text. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could hold it like a bow and arrow and make it like a Cupid moment or you could take your mistletoe and hold it over your crotch and make a joke it's up to you (laughs) right yeah (laughs) and and also don't if you're listening to the cast recording don't let the fact that jane krakowski uh recorded every uh moan and sigh in the track for some reason (laughs) that just seemed unnecessary to me out of context because the kids are always (laughs) i do they they find out we're watching the show they listen to the song and they're like what is this they're like why did why did we choose to do that? I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was habit at this point. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, she didn't need to be in that recording session at all. Someone said, "God, put her on the mo-. like." It's not like they were dancing the song; they were just singing. Anyway, it's fine. Yeah. Someone made a yeah. choice there, anyway. and uh, now we know <laughs> how Alona moans. Okay. Um. Anyway, so then right Imona. after Imona. <laughs> uh, well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> I high fived myself. He's good at that. Uh, so then I am good at high fiving myself. Yes, thank they're, you. <laughs> they're decorating the shop. They've got a lot of Christmas decorations up, and Mister Marichek comes out and says, "Everybody, go home. We'll finish it another time." And then, uh, because they're leaving early, 
Kodai immediately says, well, I had another appointment that I was going to cancel because we had to stay late. But now that we're not staying late anymore, I just have to keep it by. We'll go some other time. And Alona's heart is broken again. And she sings, I resolve as a means of being like, I'm not going to fall for stupid guys anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's not my favorite song in the show, but, uh, I do like how much we get to see Alona's growth throughout the story. I think it'd be really easy to just brush her story under the like under the rug because she's B plot. But I like how much we get mm-hmm. to zoom in and focus on her growth and progression throughout the show. Mm-hmm. I will say though, I I personally think that I Resolve is probably my least favorite song on the show. But I definitely understand its purpose and like mm-hmm. wouldn't cut it for any reason. Right. It's just that all the other songs are so good that it's hard to compete. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, yes. Everything's so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone leaves, and Mr. Marachek has a meeting with a private investigator who tells him that his wife has indeed been having an affair, just like he suspected with one of his clerks. And Marachek, you, you can see that Marachek feels relieved that he has gotten rid of George. Because he's very sure that George is the one who's been having an affair with his wife. Only to find out that it has been Kodai the whole time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marichek's obviously surprised. And obviously very hurt by it. And then the phone rings. And we can tell from the one side of the conversation that the person on the other end is Mrs. Marichek. Mm-hmm. Who is saying she'll be out late for an appointment. And that he shouldn't wait up for her. And gee, I wonder where Kodai was. Hmm. <laughs> and I think this is one of those moments where you can tell how well the book is written because it doesn't feel like Marichek's lines are giving us too much, but we still know exactly what Mrs. Marichek said on the other end of the phone. Right. Yeah. And I think Brian Jennings plays it so beautifully. It's just mm-hmm. devastating. Like Mr. Marichek as a character to me is like kind of, eh, but Oh, you can feel his emotions. Mm hmm. It's such a beautiful yeah. moment, like and, uh, beautiful something, sad. something that is great too. From and correct me if I'm wrong, but there is there music playing when he has this conversation or no? Mm-hmm. There I'm is, pretty okay. sure it's days gone by. It's just like kind of back as background music. I could look really quick, but it's like, like a, a slow, like a. It's a yeah, sure. yeah, an instrumental. I could pull it up really quick. I think it's like a slow, sad instrumental version of Days Gone By. Yeah. I wasn't sure if there if it was that or if there was no music at all. And my argument there would be like, what's more impactful? The fact that there's no music or the fact that there is this very, this song that he sang before, but just in a much sadder tone. Oh, I clicked right to it. I'm seeing this so many times. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing when the private investigator is there. Right. Okay. And then the phone rings. Now I just want to watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So he picks up the phone. He says, Marichek here. And then uh, like a sad instrumental days gone by with a violin plays. Okay. Underneath okay. it. And it that follows all the way through. So he has that sad phone call. He hangs up with his wife. He goes upstairs to his office. And then we see Arpad hasn't left yet. Mm-hmm. He's been in the like the storeroom in the back and he comes out and follows. He's obviously heard some of the conversation. He follows Mr. Marichek upstairs. And so that underscoring goes straight through the whole end of the scene. 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he follows Mr. Marichek upstairs, and in the the 2016 pro shoot, he opens the door and sees what Marichek is about to do, and he says, Mr. Marichek, don't. And then there's a gunshot. And then we transition to the restaurant where they're, uh, Amalia and George are going to meet. <laughs> I I have to say, though, like, just thinking about it now, because like, like I said, I've seen this several times now because you play it in class. And I can picture in my head and just, like, the chills I get every time that happens, you know? And, like, I, the reaction that the kids always have to it, you know? They're like, <gasps> you know, all the gasps. Yeah. Like, oh. like, I think one time a kid, like, shrieked. I'm yeah. pretty sure like well, it happens. What I do when I when I teach this is that I give the kids a worksheet to fill out as they're watching and it's just got a few questions and I basically just ask them to pick one of the principal characters, uh whichever one they want and just pay attention to them and focus in on them while they're watching. And so it, the questions are just like who was the character when we meet them at the beginning of act 1? Like what's their objective? What are their obstacles? You know, basic acting questions. And so at the top of this worksheet because I usually introduce the play the day before because act one is about an hour and 20 minutes long and we have 90 minute periods. So I don't have a lot of time to get everything set up and going and I don't want to have to cut off before intermission, like to show the rest of the next day, mm-hmm. like show act one all in one day and act two the next day. So I tell the kids, like I show each character's picture. And so I like, it's a little screen grab from the musical with each actor in their like, costume and makeup. And all of the kids, for whatever reason, this past year saw Mr. Marichek and they were like, he looks like a sweet grandpa. We're going to pick him. (laughs) And they're all like, we're going to follow Mr. Marichek. And so then it gets to this scene in the show. And I actually what I did this year and I will probably do it every year is I get up and I kind of like walk around to the room so I can see their faces better like go to the front of the room and I watch them and like the little jaw drops and they all look at me like, did that really just happen? And I have to be like, yep, that, that was what you think it was (laughs) like. And so then the last question on the worksheet is like, uh, how was your character different at the end of act one compared to the beginning? And they all were like, he's dead. Sad face emoji. (laughs) (sighs) I should say, uh spoiler alert not dead well and that's where yeah that's where i do send the email to parents to be like hey so alona's kind of sexy and also there is an offstage mm-hmm. suicide attempt and if this is something that your kid might be sensitive to like you probably want to let them know ahead of time that this character is going to be okay and we're going to see them in act two but i'm not going to tell the kids that in class because i don't want to spoil it mm-hmm but, like, to have that emotional impact, I wish we had time to watch it all at once or to, like, see it live so they could feel it even more. Mm-hmm. But. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so then we get to. And it's, it, it's a, and that's the thing that's crazy about, like, it goes right into a romantic atmosphere. Right? And it's, like, it's such a huge change from what we literally just saw. Yeah. It's, it's very jarring. Luckily, we we get a bit of a scene change. Like we get a few seconds to like process and like see the set change and hear the music change, so we can kind of like mm-hmm. like take a breath and be like, okay, palate cleanser. And it's mm-hmm. great because a romantic atmosphere is very funny, but 
like right <laughs> that's true and i think that's why like we just had this really heavy moment and then we transitioned to the restaurant and then we have the maitre d who a lot of kids just like love this character i remember they that for sure him. when we watched yeah, it my fifth grade class they love the maitre d maitre d um so but like it's such like it almost feels like shakespearean in a way to where you have like a really heavy moment followed by a comedic bit because mm-hmm. it happens in a lot of Shakespeare plays too, from what I can remember. Yeah, I wonder if there was ever any consideration for Marichek's suicide attempt to be the end of Act One, mm-hmm. because you could easily send everyone else to like George comes back and gets supposed to go to the restaurant before this happens. Like we set up everything is going to be at the restaurant well before this happens, so we could easily go to the mm-hmm. restaurant and then come back to the shop. And see Marichek. I mean, minus the fact mm-hmm. that we would have to change the set. Like, that would be the, the, the biggest hang-up for me. But Right, yeah. I Yeah, I wonder if there was any consideration for it to be that way. Yeah, I guess the set change. Yeah. Like, you add a set change, but also, like, Amalia and George is your A-plot. So you probably want to end Act 1 on your A-plot. Yeah, that too. And I th- that's something I was thinking as well is, like, I mean, man, it would sure would suck to end Act One on that note. But at the same time, is would that be more impactful? And I'm like, I'm not sure. I think where Act One ends in this show is where it needs to end. I I agree. It's a it's a very well constructed show. It's <laughs> it is perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, a romantic atmosphere is great, and um, yeah, it's silly and funny. Peter Bartlett as the Mater D. This is where we lean into the like humor and the goofiness that just isn't quite there in the sixties. And I don't know if that's just tonally, it didn't like that just wasn't as funny. It wasn't a consideration like stylistically. I'm not sure, but I'm glad that it's here now and we get to be goofy and silly and lean into the lines that you could read as straight, but if you get really silly with them, it's even more fun. Mm hmm. Like it's a, it's a little bit later, uh, in the scene. I think I think it, yeah, it must be after romantic atmosphere because it's after George starts talking to Amalia that uh, he says like, "Can't you and your husband argue at home?" And she says, "He's not my husband. He's a business <laughs> associate." And then Peter Bartlett's delivery of like, <laughs> "Well, then talk business somewhere, somewhere else." else. <laughs> <laughs> just so dramatic and silly Mm -hmm. he i think he really brings a lot to this and he makes it funny because i do think that kind of what you said like oh you could definitely play this very differently and it's played a lot more comedically in the the pro shoot but Mm -hmm. i think this the way that the song is constructed could be and you know to reference my fair lady again right where it's like Mm. very prim and proper and like all this kind of stuff despite the fact that this is supposed to be a restaurant where people come to meet lovers or mistresses or whatever right that's the intention behind this restaurant um so i feel like you could very much play it that way but how they do it in the pro shoot the 2016 pro shoot is i think much more entertaining and is a much needed palate cleanser after the scene we literally just watched Right. I, I think the the infusion of comedy into this particular production is just, it's so masterful. You know, they, 
I've heard this expression, like all, you know, people think of comedy as being low art and drama as being high art, but I actually think the skills required for each are the opposite. Like you can teach someone to be dramatic, but it's hard to teach someone to be funny. I would agree. And to have that comedic instinct uh, as an actor and as a director, like to find those comedic bits that maybe have always been there, but weren't there intentionally or have never been played that way. Mm-hmm. It's it's really challenging, and to me, that just shows off how well done this production is. Mm-hmm. I, think, I mean, you got I got to think about you know to kind of what you're saying. Like, it's hard to be funny, but like that's where you got to think about actors like Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, who can play these very dramatic roles and do it very well. And you know, and I just you know I I can't really think of a dramatic actor, a a, a an actor I've seen that's done primarily dramatic roles that also does comedy. I can't really think of one off the top of my head, but at the same time, usually actors that can do both are the ones that do very, very well. Mm. So this whole restaurant scene, it's actually quite long. It's a 20-minute scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it doesn't feel it to me. I don't feel like it ever drags in. It is broken up by three different songs and a lot of really great, funny dialogue. Mm-hmm. So we, we get a romantic atmosphere and then George shows up with Sipos and I don't think we mentioned this. George goes back to Marichek's to get Sipos to be like, please, I'm, I can't meet her. I can't do it. Please give her this letter. Yeah. He's not feeling confident because he just lost his job. Right. Yeah. He's Well, and he's already <laughs> said that he maybe like lied or embellished the truth in his letters and he's afraid that she's going to be everything that she said she was and he's not everything mm-hmm. that he said he was so he he decides he can't meet her after all and he wants Sipos to give her this letter and Sipos goes to see who she is and that <laughs> the whole bit it's so funny the whole bit of like well she looks a lot like someone in the shop <laughs> like who does it who does she look like it's like is well it she looks shop? like yeah our she, shop <laughs> She looks like Miss Ballish. It's like, I thought you said she was attractive. It's like, well, if you don't think Miss Ballish, like I think so, but if you don't like Miss Ballish, you're definitely not going to like this girl. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the gags. And then when George finally goes over to see that it is her, and then she sees him, and Laura <laughs> Benanti's reaction, like both of their reactions really, but she, Laura Benanti does this great like rubber band mouth with bug eyes. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it's such a great moment. It makes me laugh every time. And I, again, I've seen this dozens of times. <sighs> point, but yeah, <laughs> and just the, the look of disgust is very funny. Yeah, like, ugh, what are you doing here? But at this point, George already knows it's her, right? And he keeps mm-hmm. saying, like, I can't be in love with Miss Ballish. Like, it, it can't be her. But Amalia doesn't know that it's him. Right. She thinks that George is just following her to see if she really had an excuse to not uh, stay late at work. And then they, you know, have another little bickering argument. Um, Mr. Novak, will you please? It's such a funny song. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can, this is again where you can see that Amalia can be kind of like hard on the outside and uh, cutting. And she even goes as far as to scream to get him to go away. But when the Mater D comes back and yells at her for screaming, George stands up for her. Yeah. I guess the hope is that as an audience member, you are rooting for him to confess that he is dear friend. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't get the chance to because she says a lot of mean things about him. 
about how he will still be just a clerk in a shop selling shampoo in 30 years and he's mean and I think she says he has the personality of a python. Yeah, a lot of those things. And then his feelings get hurt and he leaves. Which, you know, fair. (laughs) I guess, but he was also mean to her. And like, it's funny to see like in that scene too where like he knows it's her now, but she doesn't know. And so he's kind of like, poking at it because he knows certain things and he's like trying it's he's hinting at something that she's not quite picking up on because she's just so appalled by him being there right well and the fact that he would sit at her table like dear friend might see Mm -hmm. and not know that it's her right and run and go away and he's making jokes about oh i knew someone who met some guy through a lonely hearts club and they found her leg leg floating in the danube and they never did find the rest of her yeah and that i mean that's pretty funny (laughs) and but i think again this production does a perfect job of balancing the humor and the like rivalry and the vulnerability that at this point you should really like george as a character Mm -hmm. and so you're okay with him picking on her a little bit whereas if he were not vulnerable and funny a little bit throughout act one you'd be like why is this guy being like this girl is obviously waiting she's been waiting for two hours for a date that hasn't shown up and now he's just being mean to her because he knows it's Mm -hmm. supposed to be him like that's mean yeah but it's funny because we like that like there's enough balance there and then that brings us to the end of act one where uh, amalia sings dear friend which is a very sad waltz about how he didn't show up yeah. And the maitre d' feels bad. And he's like, well, you know, like she asks, she straight up like asks him like, how often do these things not kind of work out? And he's like, I think he's like, well, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. When she says, how often does he come to see her? And then he leaves, like he sees her and secretly and he leaves. Mm-hmm. And and he, the maitre d' makes a joke about, you know, you're one of, you're, you're one of the pretty ones. Like you don't have to worry that he wasn't worried about your looks. <laughs> you're not a beauty contest winner, but you should see the others. <laughs> yeah. Like, like another just funny little joke. And to kind of like, that's what's so good about that, that part specifically is it helps lighten the mood a little bit because of how like sad this particular moment is. Mm-hmm. But again, it is a musical comedy. Very true. So while we've had kind of a heavy final 20 minutes at the end of act one by the time we get to act two it gets much lighter mm-hmm. so we get an entract which as you know by my love of overtures i also love a good entract mm-hmm. not a lot of, not a lot of entracts in modern day musicals either and that's stupid there should be more <laughs> entracts for everyone uh and so then the curtain opens and we are at the hospital and surprise mr marichek is alive he shot himself in the shoulder and it's the next day Arpad is helping him to make sure the shop is open and things are running smoothly and that Marichek's okay. And uh, Marichek, does Marichek, no, Marichek doesn't tell about, I'm getting confused. Arpad Mm -hmm. decides that this is his chance. (laughs) To pitch him being a clerk in the shop. To sell himself as a clerk. Mm -hmm. And Try Me is so cute. (laughs) Nicholas Barish is so cute as Arpad. I I listened to the original Broadway cast and other casts, and no one quite gets Arpad being young. 
I that's another point I have for later uh, about like vocal quality. But I think Nicholas Barish does such a good job of playing Arpad as young, uh, especially compared to the other characters. Mm-hmm. I I just love his performance of Try Me. It's very good. It's such a and it is a very good Act Two opener. It's yeah that high energy like mm-hmm. fun. I do like the the role play in the song too. Ameritech's mm. like, okay, well, if I'm a customer, uh-huh. you know, this is what I would do. And Arpad's like, oh, it's like, it's like, you know, I try a little bit of this myself, you know, like that whole kind yeah, of like. Yeah, he, he does the whole improv thing. Yeah, like, I am a salesman. Yeah, it's great. It's very cute. So Arpad has gone to uh, open the shop. He went to leave a message for George uh, to have George come to the hospital. And then he's also found out that uh, Amalia's out sick today. Mm-hmm. And so then George shows up at the hospital and Marichek reveals everything that's happened, that uh, Mrs. Marichek has been having an affair and it was with George. And George says, but it wasn't me. And he says, yeah, of course it wasn't you. I was just stupid and thought it was. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Marichek promotes George to, I mean, he's already like the clerk manager. I, I get the he's impression that like, he's, he's elevated like, above everyone else. Yeah, he's kind of, it seems to, he comes up to me, he's like, oh, he's like head clerk. But now he's promoted to like assistant manager. The basically. manager, yeah. And so he's basically going to run the shop while Marichek is uh, recovering. Mm-hmm. And his jobs uh, are to give himself a raise and to fire Kodai. <laughs> right. Uh, For reasons, what do we know? Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, it's funny that he, like, you know, it's nice to see them like make up and then him be like, oh, by the way. Uh, tell Mr. Kodai he's fired <laughs> when, as he's like walking out. Yeah. Yeah. And George is like, why? And he's like, if you ever see Mrs. Marichek, you can ask. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sings a very sad Days Gone By mm-hmm. reprise, which is really the only reprise we get if you don't count the thank you, Matt. Yeah, actually. Yeah, you're you're right. And I don't think I would because it's a theme that continues to pop up. I don't think I would include it. It's Yeah, I would consider it more of a motif. Uh, that pops up over and over, but um, yeah, that that's the only time we get to see the same song used differently. Uh, but Marichek has survived, so we at least have that happy okay. for us. Um, then George goes to check on Amalia because he's heard that she is sick, mm-hmm. and she's not really sick, but she's emotionally heartbroken. And we get the impression that she's been crying a lot and probably shouldn't be mm-hmm. at work. I mean, been there. I mean, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't cry. <clears throat> anyway. No, yeah, I know. I have children. I cry all the time. <laughs> anyway, so Molly's been crying. Uh, when she, When George first gets there, she thinks that he's only there to spy on her to make sure that she's really sick. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go into work mm-hmm. anyway. And then we get, where's my shoe? Which is very funny. It's a very funny bit. She's frantically looking for uh, her other shoe and what clothes she should wear and just desperately trying to prove that she is well enough to come in. And he's just trying to get her to go back to bed and like prove that he's not trying to ruin her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have a, a sweet little moment where she basically confesses what has happened to George because she doesn't know that he knows. Mm-hmm. And then George makes up a whole story about how he ran into Dear Friend <laughs> and toys with her a little bit about his appearance. Who yeah. Dear Friend is. Yeah. It's like a short, bald man. Old, old, bald yeah. man. 
he yeah the the delivery is just so great it's like uh she has a bit about oh he was a young man and he goes well a man man. yeah (laughs) a man and then uh like how how old is he and he says fifth six set and you like see her reaction to <laughs> it's it so good. and then he goes well perhaps if he had some hair <laughs> <laughs> so funny and, like he's well fed but that's not unusual in a man his yeah. age and so yeah he he sets the whole thing up it's very well funny fed. because we know that it's him and uh <laughs> then she makes a comment about like well that that wasn't what she was hoping mm-hmm. for and then he says does that matter and that like changes her whole outlook like mm-hmm. immediately. She says like, I'm, I'm so ashamed of myself. Like that shouldn't yeah. matter. Well, I mean, it's just interesting too, because Ilona kind of like in the previous, in act one kind of talks about like, you don't know what he looks like. What if he's, you know, old and fat or whatever. Like she asks her these questions. Mm-hmm. She goes like, well, you know, that, that wouldn't matter. That wouldn't very much matter because I know what he's like on the inside. But then when George starts playing this up, she realizes mm-hmm. like, oh, this does matter to me. And now I kind of feel bad about it. Right. Well, and she immediately turns around and she's like, that shouldn't right, exactly. matter. Because like, like think of like the one thing that they share is a love of is literature. Mm-hmm. Or one thing that they share a love of is literature. It, it's implied that they like, there's a lot of things they have in common that they share. They have a lot of things in common. And, and like, think of all the, the old, bald, fat men who wrote great <laughs> books. Like... <laughs> She's like it doesn't it doesn't matter because inside is the right. magic, and then yeah it's it's very so she resolves to write mm-hmm. him a letter. Well, before that, George gives her vanilla ice cream, right? He that's oh, the whole yeah, point, yeah. right? He, he brings, brings it to, to her he, to make her feel better, right? Because he knows why she's right. out sick. Yeah, that's such it a, a good, good bit. bit. The, there's a there is a thing too where he like he mentions some kind of book that she has, right? Or that he asks her if she's read a certain book. And then he's like, well, I have one. I'll give it to you or something like that. Right. She, yeah, he, well, there's a couple of references to books in there. Like, um, she's got a bunch of books on Mm -hmm. her bookshelf. Like during the scene he's admiring and he's like, oh, I want to, you know, I've been meaning to read this. Like, can I borrow it sometime? But then also, uh, Anna Karenina is the book that she's supposed to bring and put Mm -hmm. on the table for their date with a rose in it so that he would know it's her. Um, and then the, they talk about Anna Karenina a little bit in that scene. Right. Like he talks about how the impact that book had on him. And she says, oh, that's so strange. Dear friend had the same reaction. Wink, wink. And she's like, let me show you the letter. Oh, I can't show you the letter. But you, yeah, you get the reaction of George being like, oh, shoot. Like I just said yeah. too much. But she doesn't pick up, quite pick up on it then. We didn't even talk about the ice cream. When he brings her the ice cream and she's like, oh, like the, there's a couple of really good jokes mm-hmm. in there. Where she's like, my mother works at Lindner's. Like, she might have waited on you. Everyone says, I'm the spitting image of her, only she looks much younger. <laughs> it's, it's so fun. And then she and takes then a she, big one. Then ice she cream, cry, right? she's crying, and she's like, she's crying and eating the ice cream. And she's like, there's something wrong with this ice cream. It's too salty. And he says, well, you, are you surprised you're crying all those tears into it? And she's like, I guess I better cry in the other direction. <laughs> and then she like turns. Holds it away. away. It takes it away. Holds it away and turns around. Yeah, it's right. It's so many very comedic bits in this in this show. It's so good. So great. So yeah. So then, uh, as he's leaving, he he she says she'll come back to work. She's gonna write a letter to dear friend to like apologize for not getting to meet him last night. 
and uh, then she'll come right up to work. And George's like, no, take the day off. I'll see you tomorrow. And then as uh, he's leaving, she says, like, can I tell you something sincerely? I like you. Like, I really like you, Mr. Novak. And they leave on mm-hmm. a sweet note. So then when he leaves, then she sings Vanilla Ice Cream, which is a song everyone mm-hmm. knows from the show where she's half writing the letter to dear friend and messing up the words. Like, I, I sat there waiting in that cafe and never guessing that you were fat. Nope, that you were near. <laughs> right, yeah. You were outside looking bald. <laughs> but then, it, yeah, interjecting the letter with her realization about how George is acting differently mm-hmm. to her and that she might like him. They can't see I, your eyebrows. I know, apparently. but just know my <laughs> eyebrows are moving a lot right now. Because <laughs> they in love. So yeah, then we get this beautiful, like, exhilarating, beautiful soprano number, vanilla ice cream. And then we transition outside where George sings. Right, she loves yeah. me. Mm-hmm. The title song. She loves me. She loves me. So yeah, so while uh, Amalia is having this revelation that, oh yeah, George maybe isn't so bad. And maybe also mm-hmm. I like him. And maybe I like him, like Ooh, him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then George is on the street at the same time mm-hmm. singing this song. Well, 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 well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This song is, yeah. And we get some of the same lyrics, mm-hmm. too. Like she sings in Vanilla Ice Cream, Will Wonders Never Cease. And he also oh, sings. Will Never in... Cease. It's the first thing he sings yeah. after he sings All the Wells. After the Wells. <laughs> yeah. This is my favorite George song. Tonight at Eight is, is really fun. This is my favorite song that he sings in the show. They're both very good. I think at this point in the show, especially, again, like many of the times I've watched this has been with my students. Mm-hmm. At this point, they are finally starting to feel hopeful that maybe they'll end up together. (laughs) (laughs) And so when they see that, like this song feels very victorious Mm -hmm. to them and they just like revel in that elation that George is also feeling. Mm -hmm. Depends on the class. Sometimes they're more vocal and reactive than other classes, Mm -hmm. obviously. But sometimes, how do I want to say this? There are often students who are like, we have to watch a musical in class. <laughs> but by this number, they're all watching. And yeah. they're like, they're engaged with mm-hmm. it. And that's, I, I love in this song too, the things where he's like, why do I feel this way? Oh, yes, because it's cold outside. <laughs> and he's just, because yeah. he's just the, the, he's so elated about what has just happened. And then him realizing that like, she loves me like I love her, that he's just like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like just some of like the lyrics that the the specific lyric that always pops in on my head whenever I think about this song or he goes like I'm trembling, what the hell does that mean? And I'm freezing. That's because it's cold out. <laughs> just like the whole thing's just like Yeah. She loves me but she doesn't show it. How could she when she doesn't know it? It's just like all that stuff. It's like it's so good. Yeah. I love this song. I think this is my favorite song in the entire show, honestly. It's pretty great. It's really, really it is good. Really great. And Zachary Levi does it so well. Hi, my name is Brantley Wheeler, and I'll be singing She Loves Me from She Loves Me. I did have a kid last year who did this for musical theater, and I was like, this is a really fun number. It really is, though. I mean... It's so sweet. This song makes me want to play this part. Yeah? Yeah, it just does. But to be fair, I'd play any part in this show. Well, hold that thought. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this is a song that my students, sometimes my discerning musical theater students Mm -hmm. will argue with me about a little bit because I do tell them as we're talking through the musical theater unit, something really great that musical theater writers do is that, you know, they say the thing without saying the thing. Mm -hmm. So the best, for example, the best love songs don't ever use the words I love you in them or like sometimes they don't even use the word love Mm -hmm. and so they'll argue that this is a bad love song because it's called she loves me and he repeats those words over and over again but I would argue that this song is not about him being in love with her we already know that Mm -hmm. but it's about the feeling of having love reciprocated oh yeah for sure he never says like this fucking awesome yeah (laughs) But you can tell that it is. Yeah. Like I said, he's absolutely like elated to know that like yeah. she feels the way, same way that he feels about her. Yeah. Because like I think because he, you know, I think at this time too, he's gotten over the initial shock of like, oh, this person I've been talking to for months now is this person that I absolutely despise. I mean, even it happens, you know, during when they're at the restaurant, he seems to kind of like... Mm-hmm. He's necessarily soften, but he's kind of, like I said, he's kind of poking at it, trying to figure out, like, is this really the person that I've been talking to? And in, uh, not, you know, in so many ways, he does get the answers that he's looking for because of, she, you know, answers the way, like her, the answers to her questions, the way that she reacts to things, clues him in on like, oh yeah, this is the person I've been talking to. I think this song captures so well what it feels like to have love reciprocated Mm -hmm. like in in any kind really like i don't i'm i'm maybe we'll cut this but like this song reminds me of like how i felt when we were like we're best friends aren't we (laughs) like the same i had that same kind of feeling oh that's that's fun but you know i just was like yeah i mean it makes sense like you saying like you know good love songs don't say i love you but he's not talking about that man like like you're saying yes we we know the song is about yeah, we know that he's in love with her. We know that already. But now he's just excited that, oh, she loves me too. And it gets to the point, like something that's, I think it's also clever in the song too, is that he, all he sings, like he sing the, like the chorus part of the song is, she loves me, she loves me. And then he'll sing, ah. He doesn't, he doesn't say, he go, ah, or and ah, but then he doesn't say like, I love her. He doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. And it gives the impression too that I think it's very clever that it's like his mind is just absolutely racing and he's trying to, he's just thinking like all these things at the same time. And he's just, you know, it's such a very well-written song and like, yeah, I'm a, and the pro shoot, Zachary Levi does a cartwheel. I'm like, that makes perfect sense. He's just, he's so excited. And yeah. you know, it's the whole thing. I've seen some pretty low energy versions of this song and I just can't imagine how that reads compared to this 2016 product like <laughs> he is walking on beat all the way back and forth across that stage mm-hmm. like he's it's it's frenetic there's a, so much energy there and like this is not a park and bark like he, there needs to be, it's not a dance number but there has to be a lot of movement mm-hmm. for me to buy that like yeah the, his thoughts are racing like it's like i'm trembling like mm-hmm yeah, I, I guess most adults have probably had this experience at some point in their lives where you're like, oh, this person that I like also likes me. Like, mm-hmm. I felt this the whole the whole week before uh, I went on my first date with my husband <laughs> was like this. Like, I couldn't eat. I was just like vibrating constantly. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. 
It's it just a perfectly captures that emotion. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's also a song too that like, I don't think there's a ton of musical theater songs that do this for me specifically, but it just brings a smile to my face every time I see it because it's mm-hmm. just so fun. Me too. And so energetic and you no, know, it's just a great yeah. song. I just let's stop talking and let's just go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Huh. Okay, so then George gets back to Marichek's, and so he's uh, he's got he doesn't quite have the girl yet, but he's about to. He's got his job back. He got a promotion. Like everything's going right. Everything's coming up, George. Everything's coming up, George. <laughs> uh, we find out that after everyone left the store last night, Alona like wandered over to the library and met a nice optometrist named Paul. Mm-hmm who read books to her all night long and she's fallen madly in love with him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And C-Post, she sings it to C-Post and he's just so happy for oh, her. Oh yeah, it's, for sure. This is, this is another one of those things where like my female students especially are like, yeah, like she wasn't just like a sad girl who, who was brokenhearted because a man didn't pay attention to her. Like she figures out what she wants and mm-hmm. she gets, she gets it and she gets a happy ending. And so they're all rooting for her. Yeah. Of the two Alona songs, this one I think is the better one. Her two, her two like solo songs. Mm. I think this is the better one because I just like this one more. <laughs> I don't know this one. It's definitely a nicer moment for her character. Like it makes me all of Act Two just makes me feel happy. Mm-hmm. But I think this song is a little bit long for me. Yeah. Okay. If it's not played well, I get bored. There's a lot of verses. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. Emily, there's a lot to talk about in this It all happened in like the last 12 hours, but... It's been a long 12 hours. It's been a long 12 hours. I've I've met uh, the man of my dreams and fallen in love, Mm -hmm. even though I'm illiterate and he's an (laughs) optometrist. Uh, Optometrist. Optometrist. So then, meanwhile, uh, Kodai has been fired by George. I want to talk about this, about a trip to the library. Oh, okay. Um, this song has my favorite lyric in it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Go yeah. ahead. And every, I was like, I was just sitting here listening to it, just thinking like, I just love this, this cadence, this rhyme here that it has. But it's like in the second, uh, kind of the second-ish verse. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to break down the song into verses and chorus necessarily because there's so many, again, a lot of words. Um, mm-hmm. But she says... Um, she talks about how, you know, she was in the library and she like reached for a book and then kind of froze. And this man with a kindly voice comes up and says, pardon me. And then she turns around and says, and there was this dear, sweet, clearly respectable, thinly bespectacled man. And I'm like, that's my favorite lyric. Highly respectable, that's a good one. highly respectable, uh, thickly bespectacled man. I'm like, it's just a really good rhyme scheme there and i'm like that's so good. it's it just is. it's really really good and that it's as short as it is it's my favorite lyric in the show her description of this man that comes and is kind to her yeah but he just like he like approaches her and he asks her she's he's like pardon me do you need some help and she says uh n- no yes i do <laughs> right and like shake nods her head in the opposite way as it's very and mm-hmm. well, Jane Krakowski does play it off very well. As also, she she does play very funny. Mm-hmm. I also I this is something I think last year, not this past year, but the year before, I talked with my students about. They were like, "We want to know more about Paul." Like they were mad that we didn't ever get to see Paul. Mm-hmm. And 
Like this, what what does he actually look like? Like we know that he has brown eyes, and he thick, he, he wears looks, thick glasses. <laughs> he, yeah, he's an optometrist, an optometrist with thick glasses, and he's clearly respectable. So to me, that probably in the thirties implies that he's like he's well put he's together. Well put together, yeah, yeah, and uh, he just like comes over to, in the library to this woman who is clearly intimidated because she's never been inside a library and can't read. Mm-hmm. And he just comes over and is like, do you need some? Like, Paul just shoots a shot with this girl in the library. Hey. <laughs> which could be intimidating, which she says multiple times. Like, it's obvious he's quite strong. Like, yeah. Well, it's like, it's one of those, and you know what they say, that that old saying that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Hey. Wayne coo- Gretzky, Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, kudos, kudos to this character we never get to see or meet. Yeah. For, for doing that, you know? Well, and also, like, you know, we established that Alona's, she's had relationships with not-so-great guys before, mm-hmm. and then this this guy just approaches her out of the, like, kind of unsolicited, mm-hmm. comes over and helps her, and then he makes a comment of, oh, uh, she, I think the lyric is, I couldn't go wrong with the way of all flesh. Yeah. And she's like, of course it's a novel, but I didn't know it, or I certainly wouldn't have smacked him. <laughs> And then he like laughs, he it, laughs off. it off. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like he's a good guy. Yeah. Cause he laughs it he off. Could take a, and it's he s- could take a slap to the face and be like, do you want me to read you a book? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's clearly she's like, he's just like, it's one of those things that you, what you can discern about this guy is that he's like, you know what? I get how that sounds. That's not what I meant. Sorry. Do you want some hot chocolate? <laughs> you want some hot chocolate? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer to that question is always yes. Come to my apartment and I'll read you whatever book you want. Mm-hmm. And then I love her whole thing too about where she's like, "Hey, if he sits there, and he reads to me. I don't ever have to open a book. <laughs> I never have to open a book. Yeah, it's just really. Funny. I'm feeling so domestic. I'll I'll be cooking, and he'll be reading me a book. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's like so sweet. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe how truly domestic and happily hopeful I feel. I picture my Paul there reading aloud as I cook. As long as he's there to read, there's a quite a good chance, indeed, a chance I'll never have to open a book. Yeah. Unlike someone else. <laughs> someone I dimly recall. <laughs> I love that bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my optometrist, Paul. And like, I do love kind of like the wittiness of the line. I know I know he'll only have eyes for me. Eyes for me. My optometrist, my optometrist Paul. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> love to see it. Mm-hmm. It is a good song. Anyway. So then, uh, meanwhile, Kodai has been fired. Uh, and he... Off stage. <laughs> he's been, Yeah, he's been fired off stage. We come out and it re- you know we reveal that he's been fired and he's claiming he's resigning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that he's going to open, reopen the recently closed Hammerschmidt's. Mm-hmm. And Alona gives him his two weeks severance so here's your down payment Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and he sings grand knowing you it's in the way gavin krill only can (laughs) where you're like man this guy was kind of a the whole time Mm -hmm. he's been keeping alona on the line he's sleeping with his boss's wife he knows what Seapost has done Mm -hmm. oh this is that's actually been revealed at this point too where we find out that uh, C-Post admits to George that he's the one who sent an anonymous letter to Mr. Marichek saying that his wife was having an affair with one of the clerks, right. which set the whole thing in motion. Mm-hmm. And George is like, do you realize like how much trouble you caused? Like, 
this is bad. Yeah. And Sipo says, yeah, I learned my lesson. And the next letter, name the names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's the wrong lesson. <laughs> yeah. No, not that lesson. Wrong lesson. So, yeah. so uh, Kodai knows that Sipos is the one who mm-hmm. uh, gave it. And he, you know, makes comments about like, I'm, I'm I no, won't forget. Yeah, I won't forget. <laughs> it's like, I was like, and I don't know your wife, but I will. But I will. <laughs> and this whole thing too. Yeah, Gavin Krill's got that perfect balance of like he's the villain and he's definitely slimy and, and he leans into that like slime ballness just enough. But at this point, like his performance is so good and he's got enough charm and charisma that you're just like, mm, I still really like you, even though you're the villain. Like I enjoy your performance, even though you're the villain. Mm-hmm. Or at least I do. I mean, we've established that I like villains. But <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and a, then it's I like a, Gavin Crew. I'm looking just this think looking thinking about this song too. You know the whole thing where it's like he comes out and just the dripping sarcasm of the opening lyrics, right? Like the, it's been grand knowing you, grand being your friend. You've been kind, loyal, and so generous right down to the end. Because he's just so, and you can tell mm. he's like angry that this happened. But you have you have to think too, like he probably knows why he's being let go. Oh, he for sure knows. And he's just, he's mad he got caught. And it's funny, like, I don't know if you remember this, and that's why you brought it up earlier, but like to talk about in an old Western, there's, you know, the the white hat and the black hat. Right, yeah. And he he comes out, this costume, he's all in black, and like, Mm -hmm. we're really leaning into like, he's the villain, like, like a melodrama. He's the villain. It's him right here, like, Mm -hmm. point a lighted sign at him. (laughs) But he does such a great job. His, I, I, I've way overused the phrase. It's so good, but <laughs> just excellent performance. So Kodai has this big exit. Okay, so then we get to the Twelve Days of Christmas. Oof. Yeah, I love this number. It's so it's so hectic and chaotic. It's great. It's so this is a, a choreography blocking nightmare. <laughs> I would I would classify this probably as a piece that would require a choreography rehearsal and not just a blocking rehearsal mm-hmm. just because I personally think it should be very involved. Mm-hmm. And there are f- only a few moments where you get to include the entire cast. I mean we it the principal roles function uh in an ensemble way, but there is also an ensemble of performers right. that only come in a few times. And uh, really, it's a romantic atmosphere in this where you get to have everyone on stage all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So to have uh, this moment, I think, is really fun and and special and like a good way to kind of drive the show to the end. For sure. It's it's utter chaos watching this number <laughs> and just thinking about like how intricate the choreography needs to be for this for this part. You know, <laughs> Well, that plus like, I mean, you really only have to stage it once. Mm hmm. And then it repeats four times, but you have to stage it in such a way that it can be repeated faster and a little more chaotic each time, mm-hmm. um, which, oh man, that that's the one thing I'm like, I would, I would definitely direct this show if the right kids came along <laughs> at the high school, uh-huh. I would definitely do it. But this number, I'm like pre-stressed for future <laughs> me, like years and years away who might get to do the show. It's really fun though. Even lyrically. There's some really fun jokes in the show or in the song uh, about how, you know, there's 12 days of Christmas. And so these are the people who shop in time and they can go to hell. <laughs> like, And then by the time you get to the the 
uh, the, the last verse. Where they're like, it's the 24th and it's one day to Christmas. Uh, th- there's a lyric that keeps coming up. It's like, either these are the people who shopped in time or where are the people who shopped mm-hmm. in time? By the time you get to this verse, it's like, where are the people who, sh- or where are the sheeple who popped in time? <laughs> and we're not the popple who sheeped in time? Like, <laughs> and like, it messes up all the words and it goes by so fast that if you don't, if you're not paying attention, you might not catch all of that. Mm-hmm. But it's very silly. It's very silly and very fun. And it, it always gets a giggle. And it's imp- it's impressive to watch them do this whole thing over and over. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's little scenes in between and like where we see George and Amalia getting closer to each other. Right, yeah. I'll also say, too, like, also having worked in retail can relate. I've been there. I worked, <laughs> I worked at Walmart during the holiday season. Oh, man. I worked overnights. So I was there from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. And it Ew. was like... And I was like, hide your kids, hide your wife, you know, like get out of the way. Like do not get in the way of Karen and her toaster. Like just, you got to wait, you know? And like they put, they would yeah. put banners across the aisle so people couldn't get to like soups for certain stuff right away. Ugh, thinking about it, I'm having like Vietnam flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> And also with the, a different time when I worked at Old Navy for for Black Friday, uh, I came in at 10 p.m. and worked all the way through the night with people coming in. And uh, I almost fell off a ladder because I was, <laughs> was falling asleep <laughs> trying to put things away. And I was up in the air and I'm just like, I could barely stand up. And eventually they were like, mm. go home. It's <laughs> like, okay. And then I had to get up and go work my second job. Yeah, I'm... I had to go I went home and slept for about six hours and had to go work my second job for Black Friday. Ooh, I'm, I consider myself very fortunate that I've never had to work retail. Oh, you're one of those people that suck then. I've worked, no, I've worked cut like customer service <laughs> facing jobs before. Yeah, I know. But not retail. I've worked retail. I've waited tables. I've never done that either. So I work all the jobs that people say, like, you should have worked at least one of these jobs in your life so that you can appreciate. And I'm like, I've done it all. I now I am in education, which is the most respectable job. <laughs> uh, you're hilarious. Hence the sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> Why else would I be laughing uncontrollably? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we get all that frantic energy of like the song gets faster and faster as we get closer to Christmas. But then in between, we get these little scenes with George and Amalia where George says, like, can I walk you to the bus stop? And she says, okay. And then he says, are you in a, in a very big hurry? Like, can I take you off for coffee? And she says, I'd like that. And so we get closer and closer. Uh, and then we get to the 24th and they finish the day at the store and they're closing up and then, uh, everyone's celebrating because they have had bigger sales than they did last year. They said the, the till came out 18 inches longer than last year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then Mr. Marichek shows up and they have champagne to celebrate. And everyone's leaving. We find out Alona is uh, going to meet Paul and she's pretty sure that he's going to propose to her even though he doesn't know it yet. <laughs> and Sipos is going to go home because his wife and children are waiting for him and his sister, his wife's sister and her children and their whole family. And then he takes the champagne with him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like my wife and children are waiting and my wife's sister and her children and God knows who else. (laughs) (laughs) eh, Yeah, relatable, I suppose. 
And then uh, Arpad goes out with Marichek and they go out for dinner. And uh, as they're leaving, Marichek says, what What do you want for Christmas? And Arpad, <laughs> Arpad says, that's too much to hope for. What I really want is a motorcycle. <laughs> Which is so cute because he's been so attached to his bike the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mayor checks like, then, yeah, that is. That's yeah. It's like it, it's too much to hope for. I won't get it anyway. It's, well, at least tell me what it is. A motorcycle. You're right. You won't get it. You're right. You won't get it. Yeah, that's it's <laughs> a, that's a great it's bit a great too. Bit. And then uh, then we're just left with Amalia and George, and Amalia has invited George over to have a uh, Christmas Eve dinner with her mother and dear friend who's supposed to be there, and uh, she like makes a couple of comments like, oh, but you know, like you'll, you'll help me get through the situation with dear friend because you know all about him and you're so alike. And, uh, then they both admit to each other that they've had feelings for each other the whole time, or at least they did initially, mm-hmm. like when they first met, uh, she says like, you are so awful. And he says like something about her being irresistible. And then she says like, she was also attracted to him and it was, you know, just too bad that neither of them spoke up and said anything because then they developed this rivalry and, mm-hmm. Now there's dear friend. And then he finally confesses to her mm-hmm. through song. And he says to her or sings to her the letter that she wrote to dear friend. Yeah. At the beginning of vanilla mm-hmm. ice cream. Uh, and then they sing the finale together where they are both relieved that the other one is dear friend and aren't they in love. And uh, they kiss at the end. It wraps up. It wraps up very quickly. It does. Yes. <laughs> but I, I mean, I do love that i think it's in the staging where i think amalia is holding a box i think she's holding one of the cigarette boxes oh just one yeah of the she's hold, holding a gift holding a, mm-hmm. one of the candy boxes and like they're basically like you know across the stage from each other and she basically just drops it and goes over to him and he comes to her and it's, mm-hmm. it's a it's staging in that moment's really really good it's a great moment yeah. but yes unlike some of the other musicals we talked about this one does not fizzle out at the end <laughs> <laughs> no it ends but very it, quickly it just but it does a, it ends pretty abruptly yeah and it makes me like i'm not necessarily a fan of like sequels to musicals but like i feel like i want one <laughs> for this one <laughs> that's what a lot of my students say too they're like well that's it like we don't get to see any more of their relationship and i i've not felt that way I've been trying to think like, what would I want to see beyond that? And I, I don't, I think if we added anything extra besides like, I mean, unless everyone else in the shop were still there Mm -hmm. and they like came out and you know, if they were in the storeroom or like everyone else came out, whatever, and they revealed to everyone else like, Oh, it's been us the whole time. Mm -hmm. And everyone else, uh, like there is a line earlier. I think it's during three letters where, Arpad and Sipos are talking and it's like, why do they fight all the time? It's like, well, you know, when two people like each other. Yeah, yeah. Like he knows all along that they like each other. So I think, I mean, that's what we would get is them being like, oh, we're together now. And everyone being like, finally. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it does end very quickly, but I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some musicals where act two is just real short. (laughs) This is just yeah, one act of those. Two, act two is, yeah, so like 45 or 50 minutes. It's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to talk about is the difference between the different versions of this show. Because mm-hmm. you can, for m- me at least, I can definitely hear the progression of the show from 1963 uh, all the way to 2016. There are multiple cast recordings. Um, and then there's that BBC TV movie. Mm-hmm. And 
listening to the way that because the book has pretty much stayed the same but listening to the way that the portrayal of these characters and the infusion of humor into the story has progressed has got me thinking a lot about how broadway has changed Mm -hmm. um and specifically i've been thinking a lot about how the broadway voice has changed from the golden age to now and i so actually i had to do some research because i was curious so like floor mics and area mics probably would have been used from like about the 30s on Mm -hmm. but wireless body mics don't come around until the 1960s and actually i looked the the grass harp in 1970 was the last broadway musical to not use microphones and even ethel merman used a body mic in the 1971 production of hello dolly oh wow okay so um thinking like this show originally opened on broadway in 1963 in the 60s these established adult actors would have been trained to sing over the orchestra without a body mic. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking like our Ethel Mermans, our Mary Martins, um, there's like they're belters who have to sing loud. And when you have to sing that loud to sing over a big orchestra, you sometimes have to sacrifice your tone. Mm, yeah. So just, just like, like when we have kids who are learning how to belt and they kind of scream, sing a little bit and you're like, mm, you just need to pull back because it doesn't sound as nice as it could. Mm-hmm. But at that time, you had to to be heard. And so if you listen to the original Broadway cast recording, there are a few moments where Barbara Baxley, who played Alona, is like, it's just, there's some rough moments in that recording. Uh, from from everyone. I mean, mm-hmm. not Barbara Cook, because she's an angel. But <laughs> <laughs> Barbara Baxley in particular, there's a few moments where you're like, oh, I can hear where you're trying to belt this, and then you have to flip into your head voice because it's too high. And yeah. uh, especially in, I don't know his name. I can hear it and I, I can hear some like shaky bits throughout hers and it's because she would have had to sing really loud. I also think that this is why some of the numbers, if you listen to productions prior to 2016, some songs are really slow and boring <laughs> AF in my opinion. Like they need the tempo. Even like Tonight at 8 is slow. And it's like, well, I guess if it was 1963 and they did not have wireless mics on each performer then we need to slow down so that you can hear all the words. Mm-hmm. But so, so then, you know, by the 1970s, everyone's using microphones like wireless microphones on their performers. And so the technology gets better, which means that as performers, we can adapt our performance techniques, but that also means we can change our training so that we have singers who sound nicer. We, that's where like our Barbra Streisand's come mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. all the Barbara's. And <laughs> so, I'm thinking, like, is it more that the technology to capture a better performance exists? So, like, now we can edit the studio recordings so that they are perfect. Like, we can auto-tune and make things perfect. Or is it that the performers are getting better because they don't have to belt over an orchestra and we've got better training Mm -hmm. to have more sustainable, nice sound? Or is it both? Like... I think it's probably... Probably both. Probably a combination of both, yeah, is what I would say. Because, like... Not, and obviously they were having to train singers back then on like how to project and how to, you know, be heard over live music. Um, you know, and when you brought that up, it actually like, it finally clicked in my head. I'm like, you know, listening to some of like these older cast recordings, I'm like, I just don't like how they sound because it's all very shout singy. And now it makes perfect sense as to why that is. Because right. like, because right like, you know, the technology we have in theater today, we kind of take, take it for granted because... We have we've had these 
things now for like a very long time. I think some of the newest stuff we have is like LEDs, things like that. But that's just lighting. Like as far as sound is concerned, like we'll get better and better microphones. But like the you know the idea the idea of using a body mic for an actor, you know, is there. <laughs> you know. But yeah, that I mean that's only like. 50 or 60 years old Mm -hmm. that technology which isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things no no not at all for an art form that has existed for thousands of years Mm, right yeah (laughs) you know and it also it's got me really wondering about vocal training for performers like nowadays i mean i graduated a while ago but i remember very specific like this being hammered home it's like you don't stop your training just because you have your degree now right you need to go like you need to keep taking dance classes you need to find a, a voice coach and you should be taking lessons and like you should be doing all of these things because you can constantly be getting better we would not allow a non-singer in a lead role on broadway anymore mm-hmm. we, we just wouldn't like audiences wouldn't go for it. i mean if we think about the recent production of funny girl mm-hmm. uh Beanie Feldstein. Well, yes, I was like, "Why is her name escaping me?" <laughs> Beanie Feldstein, not not as strong a singer as Barbara Streisand, which is what everyone has in their brain. Mm-hmm. And then sudden, like suddenly, her contract is ending early. <laughs> yeah, because we we have such high expectations for, and that, I mean, obviously, that's a specifically demanding role. There are roles for that are less demanding for singers, but we still wouldn't accept someone who is not a strong singer to be on Broadway just because there are so many people who can do it. Uh, and I mean, additionally, we do have the ability to capture better. It's easier to record, you know, multiple takes of a thing. And like, in my opinion, Laura Benanti is noticeably better vocally on the cast album than she is in the pro shoot. Yeah. And it's just, it's a couple of little technique things that I think could easily be fixed. But I, I wonder <laughs> that's me saying this. <laughs> Like, I have anything to say to Laura Benanti. <laughs> I think her performance is wonderful. There are a few places that I notice that when she's on stage in the pro shoot, um, you know, she's doing so many things and emoting with her face is one of them. So she doesn't open her mouth as much. And if she opened her mouth, just will he like me is one of those where she's just like slightly under pitch. And it's like, well, if you just opened your mouth a little bit, that would solve that problem. But if you have to open your mouth huge to sing this big high note then you lose some of that facial expression so there's balance and i understand Mm -hmm. that but in the studio when they're recording the cast album you could do multiple takes yeah which isn't really a thing going further back like it's like just sing it and today we could say okay we want the like this the cast album is not necessarily going to exactly match the way the show is performed right yeah because we're just trying to capture the best essence of the thing so we might spend some time coaching a performer to sing it a little bit differently or to perform it a little differently for the, uh, the cast album than they would on stage. But if you have really strong muscles, if you're not a good singer, if you're not, or not a trained singer or an experienced singer, and you have the muscle memory to do the song a certain way, it's really hard to not mm-hmm. do it that way. Yeah. And so I imagine these people who are not trained in the way that we're trained today, like Barbara Baxley go into the studio and record this thing just the best way that they can. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe not the most beautiful thing, but like that's the take we got. Right. Yeah. Maybe. And you're doing it eight times a week and like you have to get up early and go record this thing on top of the eight times you have to sing the <laughs> show, like lots of things. But it's got me mm-hmm. thinking a lot about it, like how, how things have changed over time. And uh, 
honestly, most of the time I'm a, an OBC kind of girl, mm-hmm. but not with the show. <laughs> this is yeah, 2016 all the way. I mean, to be fair, I am also an OBC kind of girl, so I understand. I know you didn't have time to watch it. Can we talk about this TV movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could talk about it a little, bit, a little bit about it. <laughs> okay, so it is. It, it's pretty true to the the original script. I again, I've seen it so many times that I know it. I could probably do it line mm-hmm. for line. Honestly, um, this is slightly abridged. It runs like about an hour. 40-ish. So it, there's some cuts. Um and some like there's a couple of like minor line changes and it makes me wonder if the line changes existed in like if these were the lines from the 1963 script and it was changed for 2016 or 1990 like it, how it changed over time or if it was just changed p- to be a more of a britishism. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to I don't know if I wrote down any specific examples. There's just like like a couple of words will change here or there. It's like uh, that like that took me out of it for a second, um, but overall the tone of this production. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the first couple of NBC Live TV musicals where there was no audience and it was like weird mm-hmm. and stale. Yeah, it's like that. Right. So <laughs> the highest quality you could possibly get. <laughs> there are some really fun moments, and then there are some moments where it's like they've never seen a <laughs> musical, like they've only ever seen a British TV drama, and all of the readings are done that way. Like, like Robin Ellis, who plays George in this TV movie, he has no emotions on his face ever. Just I and I understand that acting for film is much subtler than acting for theater. But I my notes say, does she love you? (laughs) And do you even care? (laughs) Like it it was just it was so stale and like she this title song was so boring. And then um that sounds like a note you would give to a student, and that's what makes me laugh so hard. Does she, does she love you? And do you even care? Uh, there's a couple of Amalia lines that were weirdly read. Like, like they didn't understand there was a joke. Um, like, I'd better cry in the other direction mm-hmm. with the ice cream. She, she's just like, she's holding the ice cream, and she's like, I better cry in the other direction. And she just keeps eating it. It's like, uh, that's, that's clearly, that joke is clearly mm-hmm. there. Or um, at the very end of the play when she's like, come to dinner with uh, me and my mother and dear friend. And she says, you can help me when the conversation, or you can help when the conversation gets too deep for me. And uh, Laura Benanti has such a good line reading where she's like, trying to be funny. Like, the conversation gets too deep for me. Haha. Like, it definitely Mm -hmm. won't. But like, you know, trying to make him like, say yes. And she just says, you can help me when the conversation gets too deep for me. Like, like it will get too deep for her. Like she's dumb. And it's like, Amalia is clearly not a right, dumb person. Yeah. She's well read. And like, I mean, she's read Anna Karenina. It, those. <laughs> right. Yeah. And she's got all these books. Like that's the thing is that she's well read and mm-hmm. exposed to art and culture. And like, she's educated herself if she doesn't have like a traditional right. education, which it there was some, a bunch of weird line ratings like that. Um, Honestly, the, the strongest performer was the lady who played Alona and I didn't write her name down and I'm sorry. Uh, and then there were, there were a lot of weird pacing issues with this TV musical. Um, like, and I, and I know that they were cutting for time. So the gunshot, uh, right before a romantic atmosphere Mm -hmm. doesn't happen. Um, like you actually, (laughs) there was some stuff that was changed and cut and it was like, like parts of Alona, I think were 
cut and toned down, especially compared to mm-hmm. 2016, which, I mean, I know this came first, uh, but like obviously pulled back. And it's like, oh, that's because it's for a British audience, right? right? And it's like, probably have to be more careful with TV than theater. But we show the silhouette of Mr. Marachek through the door, like putting a gun to his hmm. temple. You can like see what he's doing in our pads. Like Mr. Marachek, no, where there would be a gunshot, there was no gunshot. It just immediately cut to the restaurant and the like. The waiter's dropping a silver tray, so you hear the clatter. Like where the gunshot would be, you hear clatter, and then there's a silver mm-hmm. tray on the floor. Like the scene changes so fast, and I think if you don't know the story, like I knew what was coming right, next, yeah. so I followed along. But I feel like if you didn't know the story, you'd be like, "What just happened?" <laughs> it would take you a minute to catch up, or um. After George gets hired back on and he's supposed to fire Kodai, he has the line, Mr. Kodai may have a word. And then in the the staging on screen, it, it looks like we're about to see that conversation. And then there's like a snap cut to Alona and Sipos in the other room. Like suddenly we're not in that room anymore. There's no establishing shot. There's mm. nothing. It just like cuts in. Then we're on the other side of that. Like we wa- we go into the room with George and Kodai and then we're in the other room suddenly with it didn't make sense that's a weird that's a weird editing decision and then 12 days to Christmas somehow drags it was so slow it was yeah someday uh (laughs) if you want to (laughs) laugh watch it because like it's just no don't watch it it's boring and bad sorry BBC You've done some great stuff. This was not one of those things. Uh, by the way, the actor who played uh, Ilona is uh, Diane Langton. She was my favorite part. I didn't like her in Act 1, but her in Act 2, uh, A Trip to the Library was great. Oh, good. I'm glad. Because, like, it's, yeah, that's just, it's such a, I mean, it's just one of those things. I, I feel like any almost any musical can kind of fall into this trap, right? Where it's like, you can see... Maybe at this up to this point, there had not been like a definitive version of like, oh, this is the version of the show that's like the best it's ever been, and then everyone tries to emulate that. We got that, and from according to you, and I think I actually will agree with you, in the 2016 revival, I think that is like the epitome of like that's the best the show has been or will be. And I know up to that point, before any time before that, not saying it wasn't good, it's just like the interpretations were probably off, and so it just felt, you know. It like you could have done those those things to make it run slower uh, than it. I mean, it had to come from like when they did the 2016 revival of you know like okay, so like traditionally these songs have been kind of this tempo. Let's up the tempo on this and you know changing the orchestrations a little bit to like make the show a little more entertaining. Right. Well, and I think like technology also plays into that because now if an actor's got a microphone. Now we can do Tonight at Mm 8 a little bit faster because we can understand what he's saying. And to me, listening to some of these other productions pre-2016, not not so much 1993. Like, if you listen to 1963 and then 1993 and 2016, you can see the clear Mm. progression of how this show got from where it started to where it is. And I think that's natural. But then listening to things like like the 2011 Mm -hmm. concert, some of the things in there i'm listening to it i'm like i can tell that some of these people aren't trained in the same some people have more training than others i didn't i personally did not like josh radner as george and i don't like his singing technique because he was over pronouncing way too many things no you have a microphone you don't 
you it sounds to me like you took theater classes in high school and you were trained by someone who also took theater classes in high school from someone who like did community theater and they told you you have to overemphasize every single one of your words and you sound ridiculous because you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yes, speak clearly. I would prefer that you didn't slur all your words together, but you don't have to overemphasize like tonight. <laughs> at Sorry eight. to all the mumble speakers out there. Make sure you enunciate your words or Emily Chavon is going to be very angry at you. <laughs> when he sang tonight at eight, it was like tonight at eight. And it's like, that's too many T's. I don't, I, I can hear you fine. You got a microphone, buddy. And I, I know. There was too much. It it felt very immature, and some of the line readings, like especially, uh, ninth the like nineteen seventy whatever mm-hmm. movie, it felt it felt to me like my high school, which didn't offer any theater classes, it was like when we were stumbling through a play, and we thought we knew that the, we thought there was only ever one way to deliver a line. At least I felt this way. It's like there's only there's only one way to deliver this line. It has to be this way. It doesn't make sense mm-hmm. any other way, and it everything is dramatic and serious. Unless unless it's clearly written as a joke or like in the stage directions, it says pause for laughter. Mm-hmm. And in my high school program, like I, I mean, we had a choir teacher who was a music trained professional helping with musicals. And then like a math teacher who sometimes directed a play because I think she liked theater. And that was it. So this idea perpetuate it. I, I don't know if I'm making sense, <laughs> but I feel like there are. To read it the way it was maybe intended in the 60s and to not think of infusing new humor and trying trying it a different way, it's just immature and like it reads as inexperienced to me. Sure. I get that. Yeah. But, you know, I think you know, just ever since because technology has evolved and like going back and revisiting. And that's one of the things I like about I do like about revivals is that you can go back and revisit them. And because like. You know, sometimes there, I mean, there are things that can be, there are things that can be improved upon in previous shows. If you look for them and you can find them. Now I will say sometimes there are things you don't need to change or there are things that, you know, I would rather see a faithful revival than a revival. That's a gimmick personally. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with that. Yeah. Because like, I mean. No offense to anyone that liked this show, but the revival of 1776 with the all-female cast, I just don't think was a good idea. It didn't make sense. It was like, and well, not necessarily it didn't make sense. Like, I understand what they're going for, but then I remember seeing performances, and I wasn't impressed, and a lot of the stuff was very, like, on the nose and obvious. Things that they were, like, certain line readings, and or they would turn, and, like, they'd say a line and then turn and look at the audience. It's like... That's a little too on the nose. Like, we don't need to be doing that. So, you know, I, I'm, I don't know why I've even, I've even, I've even brought that up. But, like, the point I'm trying to make is just that this is one of the few revivals that has been astronomically approved upon from the original version for the better. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from how well the book is written. I mean, this is something we've complained about a bunch this season. It's like the, you know, the problem with the show mm-hmm. is the book. And this book is so well written. And I think it's really rare that a 60 year old script doesn't feel outdated. Mm, yeah. But I mean, it's 60 years old this year. And it, it doesn't, I, I wonder if it comes from the fact that it was written, you know, in the early 60s as taking place in the early 30s. So it's like, it's 30 years removed. Yeah, maybe. And is it, is it because it was removed? It, it when it was written is removed from its setting that it feels fresh like 
do other I'm trying to think of other examples of things that feel fresher than their time like they don't the the script doesn't feel old-fashioned like maybe 1776 is a good example of this like the the original production of 1776 is written to be realistic for Mm -hmm. the time period but it was written almost 200 years later like does it feel old-timey or or the reverse do shows of their own time feel dated so like the examples I wrote down are West Side Story and Rent. Like West Side Story is written in the 50s as taking place in the 50s. Does it feel 50s? Because without having the setup of like scenic costume, I guess those two specifically, props design as being the 30s, I might not know that this takes place in the mm-hmm. 30s. It doesn't feel, doesn't feel mm-hmm. old. It feels yeah. really fresh. I mean, maybe that actually might be what you're saying. I think I'm actually might be accurate where when you, because... Like we need to write a show in that's set in 1993 <laughs> and see if it in 60 years yeah, it feels old. Right. <laughs> like Jagged Little Pill or something. Like I don't know when when that is set. Does Jagged Little Pill take I don't place know. in the 90s? I really don't know. I'm going. I'm going to see it when it comes through. Okay. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's a thing like that. We're writing a. I don't want to call it a period piece, but we're we're writing of a pastime. And not writing for the mm-hmm. present, like the one the one thing that always comes up, people say, you know, the one thing that's going to be so dated is the last five years. There's that lyric about handful after handful of Doritos. And like if they ever stop making Doritos, that show is <laughs> dated instantly. Or I mean, I guess it's a little bit more removed, but like the Music Man is what 1956, 1957, and it's supposed to take place in the 1910s. Yeah. yeah. Does that like is that kind of the same? I mean, I think it's the same. Yeah. I think it's so yeah, it makes me wonder. Re- I think it's far enough removed from the time to where it just, you know, just makes it good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how well, else to put it. Yeah. When well, I would be curious to know if the book was changed at all. I mean, I'm uh, not gonna claim to be a she loves me expert, but how much, if at all, has the book changed from 1963 to 2016? Because what I what I can hear on the cast recording seems pretty faithful. There's a couple of like little musical changes. Um, like there's a a little interlude in Twelve Days of Christmas mm-hmm. that's not in 2016. Something about like sending out your Christmas cards in June. It's, it's like a little uh, hymnal in the middle of each mm-hmm. verse. That's not in there. Or like um, at the very very end when he sings the letter back to her as like his confession that he's dear friend. Right. 2016 I think is the first time that there isn't underscoring like every other production has the little music box playing that little um I guess you could call it an ostinato Mm -hmm. behind like when the way so he sings it back to her exactly the way she sings it instead of just singing the melody really fast like a confession and I think it's so much better yeah I think it's better in 2016 I think that's a much better uh emotional beat I I would agree yeah it's just it's got me thinking so much about People who were trained in musical theater before, I don't know, 25 or 30 mm-hmm. years ago. And they're like, oh, well, musicals are this and like have clearly never experienced anything right. new or thought about infusing something new into it. Okay. What else do you have in your notes? Is my last section. The section is titled Things I okay. Wish. Let's talk about things you wish. I wish this show hadn't been produced in 2016. <laughs> because of what it was up against. Just because. Because there was so much competition, right, yeah. um, 
you know, I think I already said this, but the original musicals nominated for Best Musical that year was Hamilton, Waitress, Bright Star, School of Rock, Shuffle Along. And then it was competing revivals were The Color Purple, Fiddler on the Roof, The Bigger, more well-known, yeah. Rock and Harnick, and Spring Awakening. Mm-hmm. So then my thought was, okay, well, you know, th- that's the reason the kids are like, well, if it's such a great musical, how come I've never heard of it? And when I email all the parents, they're like, my kid loves theater. How come I don't know the show? I'm like, well, because this is the same year as <laughs> Hamilton, but not just yeah. Hamilton, but also Waitress and also the Fiddler revival and the Spring Awakening revival and the Color Purple revival and also School of Rock, which your kid probably knows. And maybe you've heard of Bright Star <laughs> and like... <laughs> All these things, like, it just got lost. And that's not even all the musicals. That's just the ones that were nominated for Best Musical or Best Revival. Yeah, yeah. That's, what a great year for Broadway. Mm-hmm. That's so, that's wonderful. I love that. But also, I, I'm sad that She Loves Me got overshadowed by these other things. Right. Uh, so then my next thought was, okay, well, maybe if it just been pushed back one year. They waited one more year to produce it. What would happen if it was at, in, nominated in the 2017 Tony Awards? Uh, here's what it would have competed against <laughs> had it been pushed back another year. Uh, for originals, we had Dear Evan Hansen, Come From Away, Great Comet, mm-hmm. and Groundhog Day. And revivals were Hello Dolly, Falsettos, and Miss Saigon. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was still, it was nominated for eight Tony Awards. Uh, the acting awards were for, the acting nominations were for Zachary Levi, Laura Benanti, mm-hmm. and Jane Krakowski. It was nominated for Best Revival, Best Direction of a Musical, Costume Design, orchestrations which it should have won our friend larry hawkman (laughs) killed it love it beautiful uh it did win for scenic design well deserved that set is beautiful i will never say that enough um and then i just did want to note that it did win the drama desk award for best revival musical um jane krakowski won for best featured actress it did win orchestrations and set design and costume design um so yeah i (sighs) I don't know when it could have happened that it wouldn't have gotten <laughs> overshadowed. Maybe if it had been produced a year earlier, but I wish more people knew about this. I, I guess people must know about it. I mean, there are, there's the cast is stacked mm-hmm. uh, PBS. It's out there. I mean, it, Broadway HD was the first show that was streamed like live stream for an audience. You could get a ticket to watch it on the internet for $10. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's, that's so cool. Why aren't we paying attention mm-hmm. to this thing? But I I don't know that I've ever I listened to a bunch of musical theater podcasts. I don't think I've heard anyone else talk about it, hmm. and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. I want every. I would talk about this with everybody. Well, I, mean, I, w- I can say this that I I have a love for this show because of you, right? Because I mean, I had heard of it and I'd heard some of the songs, and it was like you know one day. You know, it's at a break at school, we were sitting there talking about shows and, you know, talking about us as performers. And then like, oh, I have, uh, there's actually, I have a big list of songs that I would want to hear you sing. And you sent me at this playlist and there's at least two songs from this show on it. If not like most of the male roles, I don't remember, but, uh, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, listen, I was like, oh, I really like this. And I was like, oh yeah. And this is Zachary Levi. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I knew him because I knew him. I was like, oh, I know he can sing because he was entangled. And I so I knew he could sing. But, you know, I hadn't really ever really watched yeah. the show before until you were like, oh, we're going to watch this in class. You should come. I'm like, OK, sure. So I did. And I was like, yeah, that's it's incre- it's fantastic. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's so great. Well, and, and I mean, as someone like I'm I pay attention to Broadway news and I feel like 
there are some shows where I don't really know much about mm-hmm. it, but I'm like aware of the writers or kind of the vibe of the show. And, you know, some shows that I like purposely save. So I'm like, I'm going to actually see this in person one day. And obviously I don't live in New York anymore, but I used to live in New York state. So I feel like things were kind of in reach to go see for a while. Um, and I moved out of New York, like right as Hamilton was coming to mm-hmm. off Broadway. And I believe, yeah. So the Hamilton cast album was released the summer I moved here. And I remember all along being like, Hamilton's a stupid idea and like paying attention to that. And then the cast album dropped and I was like, oh, actually Hamilton's <laughs> really cool. <laughs> this is pretty bomb. And so I was, a- and I was aware of Waitress. Like I remember listening to the concept album for Waitress before it came out and I was aware of School of Rock because it was a movie and Bright Star is a Steve Martin musical and Shuffle Along had Audrey McDonald. And so like I can tell you all <laughs> these things about all these shows and I remember watching, that was one of, I think that was the first Tony Awards I didn't fall asleep during. <laughs> <laughs> I made it all the way to the end because I needed Leslie Odom Jr. to win the Tony Award and he, he did, so. for Hamilton. Yeah, well I was worried Lin-Manuel Miranda was going to win it and I just didn't think he deserved it over... <laughs> Leslie Odom Jr.'s performance. It was a nail biter. But like, I remember watching the She Loves Me performance and being like, oh yeah, that's, that's the guy from Chuck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it, it wasn't until recently I was like, oh yeah, he was in Tangled, wasn't Mm -hmm. he? Like, I've only seen Tangled one time and it was 12 years ago. He and Mandy Moore singing At Last I See the Light. It's a great song. Yeah. I, well, and that's what's like, oh yeah, he's like a trained theater person too. You forget all these big stuff. Mm, and I recognize Laura Benanti from other things right, and Jane yeah. Cricket. Like you recognize all these people from other stuff. Like uh, the thing my students love is it's like this cast is stacked. You recognize all these people from something. Nicholas Barish was one of the backyardigans. <laughs> like everyone in this show is awesome. <laughs> so like how come, how come we're not talking about it? And even the theater people that I know, a lot of them are like, oh, I've never heard of it. Or no, I didn't see it. And like the only reason I saw it is just by chance because I was just like PBS Great Performances was just set to record mm-hmm. on my DVR. And I was and I really was just going to sit down and hate watch it. And it's my favorite <laughs> musical. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that it was recorded. And I think I hope that it will have it will continue to have like a rich life beyond its run. I mean, it ran for 300 mm-hmm. something performances and then, you know, because PBS promoted it, 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 it aired a few times through great performances. Um, and then now it's available through Broadway HD. I just, I hope that more people get exposed to it and remember this thing exists and that it's not a show that keeps coming back because people are like, oh yeah, that is a good show that we mm-hmm. forget about. Like what, why, are, what other gems are out there that we don't know about because there were, that was the year Hamilton <laughs> happened. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, Rent or mm-hmm. Hair or whatever you know, it might have been, a chorus line. Yeah, for sure. And it just makes me wonder, you know, just in general, what like what what other gems are out there? What other musicals that maybe you've not heard of or uh, maybe aren't, you know, had really stiff competition that year so that you don't really know about it. But it's a very good show, you know, and I hope we get to cover all of I, them or most of them in, on on this show here. Yeah, how many yeah, how many like great shows that have a strong book and strong lyrics and like all this humor and great ensemble roles and all this stuff that are just overshadowed because like there was one or two or 10 big things that year. Yeah, for sure. 
or around it, you know? Um, and yeah, my, my last, I wish is I want to do this show someday <laughs> in any capacity. I will play literally any role. Uh, I, I want to be one of the sounds while selling ladies. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be the lady, uh, that Amalia sells the candy box to. I want to be in a romantic atmosphere. I want to be Alona. I want to be Amalia. I want to be everybody. <laughs> I, w- I will play any role. I'll play the Mater D if you let me. I'll do it. <laughs> it's funny to think about like this show too. For me, like if I were to be in the show, and I would love to do this show as well. Um, if it were up to me, I would like to be George because it's usually not what I'm usually typically cast as. Um, I have, mm-hmm. I guess I have the kind of face to where I get cast as villains a lot or antagonists <laughs> a lot. Um, I don't think it has to do with your face. I think I've, I don't, have, have I said do this on pod swag? before? Like what? <laughs> it's, it's just like the, the air that you give off in my opinion. And I don't want this to sound like, I think you're a bad person. I know you don't know that, but listeners, I wish, I wish you knew Brantley. Uh, like you have enough of that. It's that same, like that Gavin Creel energy <laughs> where you have enough of the charm that you're really likable, but also you can't like, you have the antagonist energy and you know how to lean into mm-hmm. that humor. And I think, I think maybe it works extra well because I know you're not <laughs> like that in real life. And so it's more, it's more fun to watch. You I, play guess. A villain. I mean, like something my wife has also told me that she's like, well, she the first musical <laughs> she's ever saw she ever saw me perform in was the wedding singer where I played Glenn the antagonist, and she was just like, <laughs> I remember her telling me that she was surprised that she's like when I told her I got this part she goes like but he's the bad guy why are you playing the bad guy, and then she came to see it and she goes oh I get, it makes sense now, <laughs> but it's just like oh okay it's like but she, and then her she had the same thing where I was like. It's like, but you're so nice and like loving and kind. Like, I don't like, but you play bad guys really well. I'm like, should I be worried? Like, what is this? <laughs> That's how I know your wife's not a theater person. Cause it's like, yes, it's funnier if he's the bad guy. <laughs> like you're my antagonist on the yeah. show, but. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and in life. And in life. <laughs> But yeah, that's why I think it's more fun because I but I like, like to it's why like I have a villain. To be like a lead like Nick Bottom because he's fairly antagonistic. He's not like mm. a super like you, you want to like him, but he's not like the hero of the story. He's yeah, he's very he's like anti-hero, and that's kind of more my vibe, I guess. Honestly, I would I would like to see you in either role again. My instinct would be to cast you as a uh, Kodai, but. Like I would love, I think it would be so fun. I'm, I'm going to put, a, I will admit, Amalia is one of my dream <laughs> roles. And as a soprano, I've gone on this rant many times, but as a soprano, there's so few great soprano roles. I can sing the hell out of this. Someday, someone please cast me before I get too old. Um, I think it would be so fun to play opposite. Like if we were Amalia and George, I think that would be so fun. I think we have the antagonistic mm-hmm. energy. That'd be great. My concern as a director, my concern for you is that you would, you wouldn't be, how, how am I trying to phrase this? My concern for you is that you would play too much into the antagonistic nature mm-hmm. of George and less into the, like, less into the softness. And I, not that I don't think you're a soft person, but I've only ever seen you play more antagonistic. Yeah. 
I haven't I haven't seen you play a super vulnerable mm-hmm. role. Yeah. So I, I think you could do it. I just think it's, <laughs> it's more fun to watch things. you like, play. I've <laughs> I've really only ever played the antagonist or like a hyperly comedic part. Mm. Um I mean even when I like when I you know when I did Radium Girls and I played Von Shashaki, it was like there are night or there are performances where like I played more antagonistic against reader and that's saying something because reader's not a good guy in the show but like <laughs> i remember one time the director he had watched this performance and he came out and he's like he's like oh well yeah shashaki's angry today <laughs> and i was like i wasn't trying to be i just was like i guess and i guess that's just how i play stuff but yeah i get what you're saying and i'm not taking it as like a you know in a way that I like i'm like disappointed i'm like yeah i get it i play i play villains well my instinct knowing you is that it would be really fun and also, I know that you could sing Kodai's role in a way that's, it's late. It's hard to <laughs> gather my thoughts. 2 a.m., here we come. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're past 2 a.m. Okay, never mind. Oh, 2 a.m., looking at you in the rearview mirror. Uh, Gavin Creel has kind of a, like a pop Broadway sound. It's a little bit more pop than that, like, old school Broadway. And I think you also play that and that's something that i i personally look for especially in professional productions is that not all the characters sound the same like obviously i want you to all sound nice mm-hmm. together and blend well but if you listen when i listen if you when i listen to the original broadway cast recording i sometimes can't tell which man is which like if i didn't know who sang what song i'd be like oh you all sound the same you sound like a baritone who's trying to like belt over the orchestra the best you can in a like semi-operatic manly Mm -hmm. way and in the revival the 2016 revival each of the five men in principal roles sound very distinctly Mm -hmm. different it's easy to tell like it's easy to hear that arpad is the youngest character if you had no context you're like oh yeah that's the youngest man on stage Mm -hmm. a boy you might even call him whereas in if you listen to the obc like Try Me sounds very different. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's in the same key. I mean, obviously, Barbara Cook and Barbara Baxley sound right, different. Yeah. But <laughs> you have that golden soprano. But yeah, I, wa- I just want people to sound. I want that distinct sound. And some of some, again, that like, is that technique? Is that the recording technology that it sounds better? All the things. Um, yeah. I, I would play literally any role. If it comes down to no one is ever going to cast me in this show, then I'm just going to direct it when the right kids come along. And I would really want to do it in the fall. Mm-hmm. It kind of hurts me that we have to watch it in the spring. Like I, I purposely save my musical theater unit for the end of the year because it's my favorite unit. Because uh, if there's no singing, what's the point? Musicals are life. <laughs> but it ends at Christmas. And it does feel a little weird to me to be like them singing 12 Days of Christmas. Or 12 days mm-hmm. to Christmas in May when it's like 80 right, degrees yeah. outside here. <laughs> um, my only fear is that, you know, whatever we do at school, it'll never be as good as the 2016 pro shoot. And I know my expectations are insanely unreasonably high because why would a high school production ever be good as a Broadway <laughs> production? But it doesn't matter. That's the one that's in my head. <laughs> yeah, I might have to lower your expectations there a little bit. I would have to lower my expectations a lot, but... Maybe someday. There's a bunch of shows that I really want to do that I've that have happened in our area that I've missed out mm-hmm. on being in. And so it's like this one is one of those that I hope is on my horizon. I feel like I know what you're going to say, but I will ask, 
what would you give this show a rating out of 10? Like 11? <laughs> <laughs> no, 10 out of 10. This is my this is mm, my perfect score yeah. show. Uh, you know, thinking about it, like when I think about it critically, like I have the other shows, like, and I was like, I wasn't, didn't feel like I was particularly hard on like Barnum, but if I really wanted to like try to th- give this like a fair shake, I would probably also give it a 10. <laughs> I just, I don't, there's not a, hardly anything I think is wrong with the show at all. It's wildly entertaining. Um, it's a beautifully written story, wonderful songs. Like I can't I feel like I can't not give this a 10. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I've, I've been thinking a lot about like critiques that I would have for this show. Like I truthfully, I don't love the song perspective. Sometimes a trip to the library feels really long to me, but then I think about like, okay, what if, what would I change? What would I cut to make it better? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. nothing like, this is one of those shows I don't really fault my taste. Like I don't fault the show for my own taste. I I do think it's absolutely it's uh one of our colleagues uh last year at one point like we were talking about this show and he said, "You know, a lot of people say that was a perfect musical." Like it really it really is. It is a perfect musical. I give my kids an assignment after we watch this and they have to write a short essay comparing our school musical to she loves me and basically the the premise is the 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 question of the essay is like if you had to take someone to see their first musical and this is a way to introduce them to what musical theater is as an art form do you choose the show that we did for uh, our spring musical or would you choose she loves me and that's you know taking into account that obviously one was a high school production and one was a pro shoot of a mm-hmm. broadway production but just thinking about the material which one's a better musical and it's usually 50 50 but I always think the kids who pick She Loves Me are right. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. That's that's the real Man. correct answer. I And again, it's it's extra special to my heart because I went into it thinking like, I'm going to hate this show. I'm going to I'm gonna say mean things on Twitter about it. Well, and then it still on won you. me over. Yeah. I'm not I'm not one who really likes a mushy love story. <laughs> but damn it, I love this show so much. This is the definitive greatest showman. <laughs> and I think that's a wrap. Wait, did you want to dreamcast it? Oh, you want me to dreamcast this show? Um, I'm just wondering where you're going to put my three favorite actors of all time. Because obviously the perfect dreamcast already exists in the 2016 pro shoot. You can watch it on Broadway HD. Well, here's what I was going to say. <laughs> if I Not was going to dreamcast this show, <laughs> I wouldn't change anything. I would just leave it who it is. In the 2016 production. Agreed. Honestly, I if I could dream cast, what I would do is I would take this cast and I would move them to the recent revival of The Music mm-hmm. Man mm-hmm. and replace the cast of The Music Man <laughs> with these people. There's a really great interview with Zachary Levi and Laura Benanti where they talk about doing the show and they both said that they would do The Music Man together. And this was obviously, of, co- of course, before the mm-hmm. revival happened or you know was going to happen it's like yeah they would be really good i would good. love to see that i would watch the crap out of that <laughs> it's it's just one barbara cook show for another but still but they they have such great chemistry and they're talented performers and mm, what a show i'm probably gonna go watch it again <laughs> after this yeah well i wouldn't blame you 
It's the Greatest Show, Man is produced by Brantley Wheeler and Emily Chavone. Our theme song is by Patrick Duffy. All of his information will be listed in the episode description. You can find us all over social media at Greatest Show Pod. Tweet at Brantley, tell him why he's wrong and has horrible taste in musicals. If you have suggestions for a musical we should cover in the future, please send us an email at thegreatestshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. Why is, is their relationship so antagonistic? I don't know. Why is our relationship so antagonistic? Well, it's because I hate you. But deep down, you love me. Hashtag besties. I've never said that. And I will never say that. Not that kind of love. I don't mean that kind of love. We're just besties. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you definitely have. It's more like a, sib- um, like a, sib- a sibling kind like, of love. We're like siblings. You're like the big brother I yeah. never wanted. Yeah, and you're like the little <laughs> sister I don't want. <laughs> That's pretty accurate, though. <laughs> <laughs>